This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey and thank you for joining us this morning on the Smart Investing Show here every Saturday for two hours uh, from 8 to 10. Also streaming many different places across the country as well. Chase, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing well. Well, before I forget, I do want to throw out the phone numbers there for people because, uh, as always, we talk about what's going on in the financial world. Then we do take your calls. The phone number is here at the studio, and I do not have them. I got the wrong numbers. Uh, we lost the numbers. Uh, uh, oh, so I got it. You got it? What is it, Chase? <laughs> it's 866 277 I'll give you your paper back here. Yeah, Surprised you don't have it memorized already. Well, you, you know, I was on the uh, other station for 20 years, and I could still never. I just always would look at the number. I mean, it's it's. I, I, I don't know why. I just uh, and I guess because I have so different numbers. And actually, I do have another number here that's an older number that I can't use that one. So just uh, I I like to have that crutch where I have that number. So I always give out the right number, but. Thank you for giving them out this morning. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, hey, I, I got to tell you that there's a great uh, sale going on down at Macy's uh, today. They've increased the prices by 50%. So you got to buy this stuff before it goes out. Kind of like stocks. They're up 50% going crazy. People want to buy things when they go up, not down. Isn't that the reverse psychology that you should buy low and sell high? There's no... You're joking, right? Of course I'm joking, yeah. I was like, I mean, I was like, what are you saying over here with Macy? Why would you pick Macy's? Who I don't know. I, Macy's I just get the retail just popped in my head. But okay. my, my, the, my whole joke just kind of fell on the floor because what I was trying to say. Well, I was like looking at something and I was like. Caught you, you off guard. You caught me off guard there. But yeah, I know. It's uh, not a sale right now. Let, let, let's just say that. Yeah, it's, it's not a sale. But, but again, if there was. That thing. I mean, I just don't get people's psychology when it comes to investing because anything else, you know, you want to pay less for it. But when it comes to investing, people just pay more and more and more. And I, I was talking to the football game last night um, and I said, this is not going to end well. I mean, things just don't keep going up and up and up. And it's not going to be the whole market. It's going to be these high flyers. And we've seen this happen over and over again. And you just do not overpay for these businesses. And I look at some of these prices and uh, you know, I was talking to somebody else the other day as well, and they were talking about, um, you know, back in the 90s, late 90s, uh, Warren Buffett. Oh, it's over for him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And then it just a few years later, like, oh, wow, he's so smart again. You know, so. Well, two things. Uh, number one, we normally start on Saturday mornings talking about the Poway Titans. So I, I just oh, got to throw gosh, that out there. That, gosh, you know, these, these kids are on a roll and uh, I just. Love being out there, being a part of it, and so happy for my younger brother just getting getting some some type of senior year. And I, I'm bummed out that you know the uh, I'm going to blame it on the governor here and took away that senior year from them. But yep. um, you know they 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 keep keep coming out to play and they they work their butts off and beat Vista last night, 38 to seven. Uh, we were worried about Vista and they they came out came out strong and 
you know, I'm so happy for those kids out there. And one more game left. Yep. And I kind of felt bad for Vista because I'm, I'm on the doing the chains on the other side. And I, I kind of felt bad for them because it wasn't until the third quarter they got a first down. And it was just, uh, you know, and, and it was an unbelievable. Your defense is so strong at Poway. And, and what I kind of said before the show as well, like, gosh, you know, it's too bad we don't have the playoffs. Like, you used to go to Qualcomm. There's no Qualcomm. There is no Qualcomm. <laughs> you know, but you drive by there, it's a big empty lot. <laughs> with a couple of uh, stones still. You got to go in Qualcomm when you were in what, ninth grade because uh, they went to, Poway went to the um, CIF, yep. CIF, there we go. So, But, yeah, it's just one more game and no chance at all of them having a playoff. Nope. No. Oh, but, hey, Poway RB, that's a, a rivalry game, so I, we're excited for that. I guess. And I heard RB is undefeated too, right? Yep. Right? So oh, this is kind of like a playoff because <clears throat> it's for the league championship right here, so. Wow. It'll be exciting, and you know JV they're still undefeated, so it's 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 been a good Poway season. Just and, and too bad undefe- it wasn't a. They're undefeated because of that great uh, defensive coordinator they have, <laughs> which is you. <laughs> yes, on oh. JV. But the other thing I was gonna say relating sure. back to investing, I did want to kind of touch on that when you're talking about things being expensive. <clears> I <throat> I gotta bring it up, and I I know that a lot of people hold Microsoft. Yeah. And I was just looking the other day, and I said I knew 52 week high again. You hold it, congratulations. Right. Any idea what their PE is right now? I'm going to say 35. <clears throat> it's about 40. 40, yeah. yeah I mean, just 40. <laughs> just put that number up then. Now, that's a forward PE. No, that, that's the that's current PE. Current PE, okay. Uh, my guess is their forward PE is probably around 32, 35, somewhere, somewhere yeah. in that realm. I mean, that is a, you can talk about how great Microsoft is and all these yeah. other things. 40 times earnings, that is expensive. Expensive. And that's when you start to run into trouble. And I know you've talked about this before. I was, I was on a Fox Business the other day. And I, I'm watching, and I think his name is Charles Payne. And he did a segment about how the numbers don't matter anymore. Oh, here we go again. And that's the exact <laughs> thing where I'm like, what do you mean the numbers? Yes, it does. When you invest, there is always going to come back to the fundamentals because you're buying a piece of a company. Yeah. That's what investing is. It's not like, oh, I'm so excited. This is just so fantastic. I want to get involved with it. What are you paying for that business and what are you receiving back? What is the value of that? Is this thing just go to the moon because it's a really cool idea? Hey, I got an idea. Let's start a lemonade stand. (laughs) Oh, come be a part of it. Let's make this lemonade stand worth $5 million. Why? Oh, because it's really cool. (laughs) It's true. I mean, and and again, when they start saying that, which they've did back in the tech boom and bust, and they did that with real estate in the 2007. Uh, you know, when people start saying the numbers don't matter any longer, that's when they really matter because that means you, you have no reason to justify what you're doing. And the problem is we can't tell people, all right, on Monday you got to sell Microsoft because it's going to crash. It could go on for months. I mean, it could I, – I, I really – I'm confident it's not going to go on for years because of the fact that we are – It now, already has. Well, it has in the past, but going forward is what I'm saying. Well, I'm saying that it's not going to go on for years because it's already gone on for right, it has several gone years, on for years now. Yeah, yeah. And, and and again, the tide does does change, and, and what's actually going to happen is that, and it's going to end badly because it's not going to go from. And again, congratulations again if you hold Microsoft. It's not going to go from two fifty to two two forty. I mean, it could drop dramatically. And what's going to happen? And we talked about this, I think, a week or two ago. Of what's going on behind the scenes with hedge funds? I mean, how much leverage they have, the crazy things that they're doing. And if that starts collapsing, you're going to see, and a lot of these hedge funds, they hold these high flyers like Microsoft. 
and they're going to have to liquidate. Look what happened to Viacom with that hedge fund. It lost, what, 50% of its value. Could Microsoft go to 125? I'm not going to say no. It's a possibility. Well, let me just throw that out there. You throw out the 125 number. That's the exact number I was thinking of, and I'll tell you why. Trades up 40 times earnings. Mm -hmm. Cut that in half. 20 times earnings. That's a reasonable valuation. If they all of a sudden have some problems where that growth isn't as exciting, you go to 20 times earnings, that puts you at $125 stock price. Yeah. I mean, there's no way. Oh, Think about it. I mean, that's the long-term average that we use for the forward PE is, again, 16.6. Again, not on the forward that's a, PE. That's a sell price. That's yeah, a sell PE. that's the right. sell price. Or the long-term average is the right. 16.6. So Microsoft had, again, 32, 35, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just kind of gauging where their earnings are and based off their estimated earnings growth, I'm guessing it's around 32 times earnings. So that puts you 50% at about 16.6. That would harm a lot of people. And the thing we're talking about in the office, and now we got our topics. We haven't even gotten into that. I know, we haven't. We got <laughs> off on a, a, a side tangent here. The other thing I, I look at is, you know, people are the ones that are going to get burnt in this. Why? Because it's the institutions that all of a sudden, people say the numbers don't matter anymore. Well, the institutions, the big money here, numbers matter to them at a certain point. And they say, gosh, at 40 times, say it goes to 50 times earnings. 50 times earnings? Yeah, we can't justify this valuation anymore. All of a sudden, the big money starts to get on. The small guy is the one that's like, what happened? It's Microsoft. How did I lose money on Microsoft? And then the broker at uh, big brokerage firm is, is telling the clients, no, no, just hold on. Just stay the stay course. Stay the course. Yeah, because they don't understand the numbers, <laughs> and that's a problem. You've got to understand the numbers. And, and again, Microsoft could go to, I don't know, 270. It, but the thing is, something will change. And I always say craziness does not go on forever. And, and this is out of the norm. That's why there is the average. And the average P.E. over the last 100 years is 14 to 17. So how in the world are you going to trade up 40 and on and on and on? Eventually, everything reverts back to the mean and sometimes goes to the other direction. So, I mean, could Microsoft go to 75? Uh, possibility. Well, know? let me just tell you, we bought Microsoft after the tech bust. Yep. So could that happen again? Absolutely. Yeah. Things overshoot to the downside and the upside. So you gotta you got to buy it when it overshoots to the downside, not get involved in it when it's the hot place to be. Yep, yep. And we could talk about this for two hours. <laughs> and there's many other companies like that. But let's go on because we've got some other topics we want to kind of cover here for you because they're very important as well. And and, uh, and by the way, there is no sale at Macy's with a 50% increase in prices. So. I, like, I didn't know if there was a special product that had like low inventory. I was like, is it, you know, that, that, that coach or not that coach purse, the uh, Louis Vuitton Louis purse Vuitton that's like $35,000 or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm like, what, is there only five left and they got to increase the sale here, sale price? Yeah, you know, we always tell people, too, I mean, if they want more information, because, again, we're only here for two hours. We do a lot of posting on uh, social media, and, and Facebook is the, the big one, I guess we do. Uh, we're also on LinkedIn. But uh, Smart Investing uh, with Brent and Chase Wilsey, we, we do, gosh, I think we do sometimes two, maybe three posts a day on different things. And what we're talking about, the purse thing, was Louis Vuitton, who is a— expensive purse maker i think uh, people know louis vuitton I, 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 some guys <laughs> yeah know. Maybe. you know i didn't know what it was telling <laughs> that my fiance um but uh yeah 30 what was that thirty five thousand dollars for a purse that was a shape of a plane and we said that you could actually buy a plane for twenty nine thousand dollars for less than the the actual purse so so let, let's move on here i think everybody now knows what louis vuitton is uh i want to talk about infrastructure spending because it's no secret that our country needs infrastructure spending and, and actually, both uh, parties agree on that. 
The problems will continue to be deb debated, however, are how much do we need to spend and where should we spend it? I mean, that, that, that's the big question. That's, that's where we're kind of getting kind of hazy here because I always thought, you know, looking back and we were going to do this for a long time, was it's bridges and roads. That's what I think of infrastructure. But, uh, you know, and also, too, the big one, how are we going to pay for it? Uh, in the recent report from American uh, Society of uh, Civil Engineers, uh, it comes out about every four years, the group rated the U.S. infrastructure a C-, uh, and that's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still C-, minus. you know, if you get that in high school or in, in college, you're not happy with a C- minus grade. Well, you say, C's, dick, get degrees, you know? <laughs> 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 but I mean, I mean, on a, on a more serious note, on the positive side, this is actually above the 2017 grade, which was a D plus, and it was actually the first time in two decades that we were in the C range. Wow. So I think these uh, uh it was a civil C engineers are. C minus, though. <laughs> I mean, engineers, you know, they're very analytical, very right. um, what's that? Right brain? I forget. Left I think right brain. I think it's right yeah. brain. Yeah. Where uh, they look at the numbers quite heavily, but uh, I think they're tough graders here. Uh, you know, two decades to not have us uh, above a D grade is, is pretty pretty serious, I guess. But on the negative side, 11 of 17 categories that were reviewed by the group resulted in D range grades. These areas were such things as aviation, dams, hazardous wastes, inland waterways, levees, public parks, roads, schools, stormwater, transit, and wastewater. Now, those all sound like infrastructure to me well, that well, I think we should be investing in. Yeah, and these are the ones that really worry me. I mean, these could have major problems. I mean, you're talking about dam bursting, uh, uh, waterways. I mean, Bridge collapsing. Bridge collapsing. These are major things we should be focused on. Yeah, and I, I, I continue to say, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, oh, we can't spend. I still think we need to spend money on infrastructure. Yes. that That is just a, a fact and a matter that we need to spend money. But as you said, how much is the proper amount? That's up to to be there for debate at the current time. And, you know, overall, this group in particular, the uh, civil engineers, uh, say that the U.S. faces a $2.59 trillion shortfall in infrastructure needs and believes that investment from all levels, which includes government and the private sector, yes. I emphasize, and yeah. because it doesn't mean the government needs to go out there and spend $2.59 trillion. There can be some private investment as well. And that private sector and government spending should actually increase to 3.5% from 2.5% of GDP by 2025 to kind of uh, absolve some of that, that shortfall there. And, and the thing we kind of wish that, you know, politicians would try to make these bills simpler rather than trying to jam through so much different things that they put on it. Uh, here's an example. Uh, I, I don't know if the $213 billion to design more than 2 million affordable homes and $400 billion to bolster caregiving for elderly and disabled Americans, and then $174 billion to invest in electric vehicles. I, I don't think that's infrastructure. And, and I know that I've, I've heard President Biden talk about it. Um, I, I disagree with him. I'm sorry. I, I would rather, I'm more concerned about that bridge collapsing, that dam you know, breaking open, uh, than I am about a, you know, getting electric cars quicker to the road. And, and also, too, you talk about the private sector. They'll step in. They'll help out because that's where they can make money. But nobody, I mean, except for the construction workers and the steel companies, are going to make a profit off of a bridge. That's a government job that I think needs to be done. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, it, it just does irritate me and um, might rub people the wrong way here. But it's on both sides of the aisle. You know, yeah. the Republicans, and I, sometimes I just hate politics. It just drives me crazy when both sides— it's like, okay, we're doing this bill, and it's like, 
well, actually, if we do this, this, and this, we, we can make it part of the entire thing. And it's like, why? We need infrastructure. Just yeah. leave it at infrastructure. And if you want to do the electric vehicles, you want to do the caregiving and affordable homes, you know, Biden ran on that campaign, that platform. Right. That's fine. I, I'm okay with that. That's what you said you were going to do. But don't make it part of infrastructure. Make it something else because right. we know that if you came out with a bill that was purely infrastructure, it would pass. It would very pass important. very easily. Yeah. You'd have bipartisan support because we need infrastructure. We need it. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So it gets me fired up. But I was going to say on an investment realm, you know, when it comes <laughs> to the infrastructure, <clears throat> we liked the infrastructure stocks at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Look at the steelmakers. We held a steelmaker. They've just gone through the roof because, again, the yeah. trend investing momentum, the hype behind it, it just takes it too high. And, you know, if you, you kind of miss the boat at this point, and the problem is, is if this infrastructure bill gets held up and it doesn't happen, ooh, those steel stocks, those They're infrastructure stocks again. are going to drop like a rock because all of a sudden that trend is gone. The valuations are too high, so value investors are no longer in those stocks. The trend falls. Nobody wants to be in those stocks anymore. And I think, too, if it does go through, which I hope it does not go through in a current form, but if it does go through, um, I think the steel stocks will be disappointed because they're going to make zero money off of $400 billion for caregiving for the elderly and disabled Americans. That's not what it was about. It was supposed to be about bridges and dams where you put, you know, uh, steel. Uh, I forget what it's called. It's not, is it rhubarb? It's something that goes in. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but it's a steel thing that keeps concrete together. I think. Oh, I, th I thought Brendan knew it, but no, he's just kind of moving away. So, like I said, uh, I haven't read the. I, we sold the the steel company, so I haven't read their their 10K <clears> in a while. Just don't remember what the blanket. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Rebar, rebar, rebar. Yes, yes. Hey, rebar, I think, is a pie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but rebar is what goes in in the steel. But but again, they're not going to have that big benefit. And yeah, they'll have some benefit, but not a big amount. So I, I and why can't they do? And, and then we'll move on here. Why can't they do an infrastructure bill A, B, and C? A would be bridges and, and tunnels and, and dams. And B would be, if you want to put it in there, okay, the affordable housing and, and this other stuff. And then C would be electric vehicles so that they can actually vote on different things because then we could at least get through the important part. But if they kind of put it in there, I, I, I'm with you. I'm not sure this is going to pass because it, it's too, too thin of a, a margin to have. Well, you know, the thing is, if they make it a thousand pages long, you know, something's going to get forgotten about. If they make it two pages, that's too easy. Everything will be too clear and, and easy to understand. We don't want that. Yep. It's kind of like, you know, these <clears throat> annuity and life insurance contracts. Let's make them a hundred pages so people don't know what's in there. Same concept. But yeah, anyways, they, I'm fired up. Let's move on. They just <laughs> well, well, thing to be fired up here, uh, investing in SPACs, uh, which are special purpose acquisition companies. I had to think of that for a second. <laughs> Uh, a top official from the Securities Exchange Commission, uh, John Coates, is warning that there are some significant and undiscovered uh, issues with investing in SPACs. Uh, now, we've warned investors uh, about the blind pool investments that these are for many months. Now, I do believe many of these will blow up on investors. Yeah, I mean, the, the big concern that uh, Mr. Coates actually brings up here is the outsized potential awards to backers, but the ignoring of some safeguards of traditional IPOs. <laughs> And, you know, people, oh, well, IPOs are expensive, so the SPAC's a more efficient way to raise money. You know, I, I, I think that the direct listing is a better option, but the problem is if you direct list your company, you don't get as much money in your bank, essentially, to invest in different things. So if right. you're a company that has money in the bank, you don't need to go IPO, I think, direct listing. But I just think the SPACs, are, there's a lot of hidden things back there. And once again, this is just something 
that uh, we've recommended to stay away from because, you know, it really benefits the people behind Wall Street. And I, I do think, you know, Few years down the road, the people that are going to be left held, holding the bag is going to be that small investor, and then they'll come back. They'll blame, oh, Wall Street is rigged and so forth. Well, yeah, it's rigged because you let them play the game. I mean, do not invest in spacs. And yeah, you might miss some great opportunities that appear to be great, but you're going to get burned on things down the road. And just stay away from that. And and it's just, uh, it, it just irritates me that people keep falling for this stuff. And that's why it comes out because Wall Street comes out with it. People put their money into it. And then people blame Wall Street for doing greedy, for being greedy. Well, you're the guys that actually were greedy because you tried to get into it. You know, look at w what you're doing. And, and, and I just, I, it just frustrates me sometimes. And, and just do simple equities. You know, that's all you got to do. So. Well, I mean, it's long-term compounding. And I mean, the, the big misconception people have as well is you still have the volatility. Even if you do the safe equities, yes, it still goes down. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to tell you that, yeah, our portfolio never goes down, but that doesn't happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. They still fluctuate. But if you buy a good food company at a good price, maybe you get a nice dividend with it, over the next five years, you're going to do well. You're not going to make, no. you know, 20% per year. That's just not going to happen. But that's the problem is people, they, they fall for the... Oh, well, my friend Billy, he is over here, and he made 200% off this SPAC. I need to get in now. And he made money off that SPAC because he was gambling. Oh, well, you know, all stocks are gambling. It just irritates me when people say that because they're not. If, if you actually buy a good business at a good value, understand that they go up and down, and yes, right. emphasis, they go down at times, you'll still do well in the long term, but you buy these SPACs, you have no idea what they're investing in. And that is a true thing. It's, it's the funniest thing. We always understand what you're investing in. SPACs, they don't even know what they're investing in yet. And they, have a, they have an idea of where they're investing. You're right. It breaks the first rule of investing. Understand what you're investing in. Well, I don't know, but it's a blind pool. But I guess I'll do okay. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, years down the road, it's like, oh, well, you know, they didn't find that investment that they wanted. And I think people are going to get real hurt with it in the long term. And it's not because of stocks or risky. Yeah. It's because you did a... a I'm going to say, we always tell people, you know, if we like you, we'll say silly thing, but I just think this is a stupid thing to get involved in because you don't even know what that company is buying. Well, well, they're going to get involved in electric cars. They give you a concept of what they could be looking at. Right. But you don't know what they're actually buying. Yeah, they're looking at electric cars. Oh, they're going to buy this junk company over here that, <laughs> that has an electric, one electric car. Oh, yeah. that's not what I no thought earnings, they were No earnings, no sales. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of debt. But but if you've been following the SPAC market, uh, you'll notice that many shares are actually down about 20% or more from their highs back in February. And, and another reason I don't like SPACs is because unlike traditional IPOs, uh, companies that go public by the SPAC route uh, can make revenue and profit forecast. And this is really dangerous. And this is what the SEC is really getting concerned about. Yeah, I mean, you talk more about the pro formas and, and stuff of that nature. Uh, it, it's just it's just really scary. And I mean, it could just put more hype behind the offer, leaving investors again holding that bag down the road because, oh, it gets so exciting. And, oh, wow, they're going to they're gonna. Ten times their sales in the next two years. Right. They can come out and say that because of the rules of how SPACs work. And I, I believe it was Fisker actually uh, got knocked on that because they, they went the SPAC route and they were able to kind of make these lofty projections of what's going to happen here. And it, it's just a big concern because other public companies can't talk the same way that companies that go this route can. Right. And you know what happens, Chase? We go to a party. We're in the corner. 
uh, we're talking maybe one person, we're talking about a food company, we're talking about a uh, you know insurance company or something. You look in the other corner, like there's a bunch of people around there. They're talking about SPACs. You're talking about all these other things. It's so exciting, so exciting. Well, uh, exciting is exciting, but it doesn't mean you'll make money. I'd rather buy the food companies, insurance companies, and pay a reasonable price for them. That's the other key, too. Oh, it, it is funny. <clears throat> we're, we're talking a lot this morning, but I feel like it's a good conversation. We got here. two hours. <laughs> yeah, we got two hours. Time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were talking to one of my <clears throat> linebackers last night. Um, he's a senior. got hurt, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, he, he started kind of trading stocks and kind of getting excited about the market and stuff. And I told him, yeah, come on in. We'll, we'll show you how we do things and, and how to do, like, value investing. And I, I was like, well, just to let you know, it is not <laughs> – Trading, right. it is. It's not the exciting stuff you're doing now. You're not going to make this big gain. It's going to be more conservative investing, but it, it's how you make money on the long term. And that's a big thing that I think people need to realize is that it's all exciting right now. But I can tell you what's not exciting: losing money. We we don't like that, and that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, it, history has proved that time and time again. Phone number is eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three. Before we go to the calls, do want to talk about the PPI because this yep. is very important. PPI is producer price index, and a, a bad potential sign for future inflation as a PPI or again producer price index rose four point two percent year over year. This is kind of scary because it topped the estimates of three point eight percent and registered as the highest reading since September two thousand eleven. Ten years ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Uh, and energy did carry a large weight of this uh, report as gasoline prices did climb 8.8% over last year. But even if you exclude the volatile food and energy se- sectors, core PPI actually still rose 3.1% year over year. I mean, it's not runaway inflation by any <clears throat> means, but 3.1% is, a, I'd say, a pretty significant increase. And I don't think the energy prices are going to get any better with uh, some of the things that are occurring at this time. So, Look at the overall thing. And the thing, too, you look at is, well, producers, yeah, the energy sector is going to be volatile. But energy is expensive. they got to transport goods. they got to do all these other things. They're not just going to be like, oh, well, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll (laughs) absorb it. No, they're going to have to raise their prices to to offset that. That's exactly why we do believe that these prices will start making their way from producers to consumers, which will result in inflation. Because as I said, these producers of these goods don't just say, Wow, our profits are going down. Well, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, here's what we can do. We can increase our prices to offset those increases in prices that we receive. Yep. That's kind of like the snowball effect, I'll say, where all of a sudden, oh, this price goes up. Well, then this price goes up and that price goes up. It's going to result in, in this increase in inflation, which I do believe is coming down the road here. Hey, and I know that gas prices are up about a dollar nationwide. God, it's and, and when you think, here yeah, and when you think about that, for it affects a lot of people. It affects your plumber who's going out there to repair your your uh, sink or whatever. Uh, it, it affects your your deliveries. It affects uh, Ubers. It affects Amazon. It affects everybody because y- your costs have now increased by about thirty percent, and many times transportation is a big part of it. So that yeah, that's one thing. But you're right; they're not going to be able to absorb that. So that's going to start being filtered down through down the road also because if they got to pay these higher prices, <clears throat> well, then they got to pass it on. So yeah. that's going to be more inflationary. And, and the other thing, too, and by the way, tomorrow my KSI segment at 840 uh, on, on TV, I will be talking about this and maybe how to offset some of that uh, prices. Uh, but I'll be doing that tomorrow at 840 on TV. But uh, uh, guess what's not coming out but will come out, I believe, on Monday? No idea. 
CPI. Ah, okay. Yes, oh, okay. Because a PPI comes out first, usually yeah. the day before. Well, this came out on a Friday, which I thought was kind of, did it come out Friday or Thursday? It came out yesterday. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's what I thought. So then the CPI will come on Monday. I never remember that happening. I, I always thought it would come out like on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. I don't know why PPI came out on a Friday, got it with the whole weekend. But the CPI, which is Consumer Price Index, this shows what's being passed on to the consumer. And, and that may time lags. But I'm see, curious to see what that is and what that could do if it comes out, I'll say 25 to 3%. I think you're going to see a little bit rise in interest rates because that's uh, meaning the Fed may have to – uh, start raising rates sooner than their two-year projection because things are rising. Yeah, and I mean, it could be a, a somewhat of a lag effect as well, but uh, again, that, that is something that uh, gasoline prices does still affect the CPI uh, because consumers still pay for gas, so I, I think the CPI could <coughs> could be pretty significant on Monday, um, but I, I do think that, that PPI is almost like a uh, leading indicator, essentially, for CPI because that, again, comes from the producers where all yeah. now the consumers are going to have to pay up as producers adjust their prices because what's going to happen too is you know it's almost like a wait and see type thing because let's just say you sell i'm just going to say widgets or you right. sell tires let's say tires you sell tires well you're not just going to increase your prices because you don't know what your competitors are doing yet if they don't increase their prices they're going to still market share so it's kind of this balancing act of well can we increase prices what are they going to do over there at you know xyz right. companies are they going to increase this much but what will happen is as producer prices increase, they'll kind of start to move up over time, which I think in the longer term is going to filter on down. And also, too, the, the uh, producers have rising labor costs. They have rising material costs. So there's a lot of things going on. And with the consumer, they get the double whammy because they have to put the gas in their own tank and pay for it from the producer yep. for the products. So, uh, you know, eventually we're going to have a situation here where I think you're going to have to have the economy kind of – Slow down a little bit, uh, and there's a lot of cash out there. I, I just, you, know, you know, which is part of the problem, and that's why too much money chasing too few goods causes rising inflation. And there was other things too that, unfortunately, by shutting down the pipeline, some other things, I think that it pushed inflation forward quicker. And not being political, but that's just the reality. If you cut something off, you reduce the supply, uh, price is going to go up. What? what? <laughs> oh, that's the econ 101. That's <laughs> so, all right. Phone numbers uh, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Listen up to Vista and speak with Fran. Fran, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, Brent and Chase. I want to thank you for your seminar on Thursday. It was so much fun to see you guys again and to see fellow investors, listeners of yours, and I want to encourage all your listeners that have not attended your seminars to please do so because you learn so much. You actually see on the screen how you work it, the charts that you use and everything, and it's very informative. And I've been to them before, but I still learned last that night, so it, it was really good. It was a great, a great uh, presentation, and I almost got a shock because some lady who said she was daydreaming, she answered your question, and she said <laughs> marriage, and I thought, oh, my gosh, Brent's getting married. <laughs> I looked at Brent's face, and I mean, the, I mean he was so, he was so shocked at what was going, but she had misunderstood the, 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 the question. So it was a fun group, just like when I listen to your show every, every uh, Saturday, it's the same thing. You guys have fun, and you enjoy what you're doing, and, and it plays into the seminar just the same thing. So really encourage everybody to attend at least one, and I've done 
multiple ones, and I, I still learn every time I go. But now, that being said, I'm still stubborn. I still have Microsoft, and that's what I was calling you today <laughs> to get the, the uh, figures on Microsoft. I did uh, listen to you back in 2019, and I sold a portion of it, but it still is increased, and I, I think it's time that maybe I do take care of it. Selling some more of it and taking care of that. So, if you could do the numbers, I'd really appreciate sure, it. Sure, sure. And, and thank you for the, and again, it's not a paid uh, a, a promotion. Oh, no, I did no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but it, it was, uh, you know, a great time. And we try to make, you know, investing fun and have some fun with it and still uh, educate people on how to invest and so forth. And, and what I found out after the workshop, which, again, was, it was great to see people at the workshop and, and it was just a lot of so fun. fun. So, uh, after 14 months, be back. But what it was, she was talking about actually paying for a wedding. And yeah. I, so now it's like, I thought you were talking about my wedding. It's like, oh, oh, oh uh, I didn't know. <laughs> so, yeah, her, her daughter is getting married and they're paying for it. So, right. yeah, she's, she was like, oh, yeah. And she, it was crystal clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was sitting at her table, so I wanted a little bit more lowdown on it. And then she explained the same okay. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I normally don't get stumped with the questions in the workshop. That one stumped me. Like, I did not know what to say. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, move on to Microsoft. I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you called about Microsoft, too, because we uh, obviously talked about it at the beginning of the show there and kind of threw around some estimates on those numbers. So glad to kind of pin those yes, down. Yes, pin those down there. So, all right, let's move on and talk about Microsoft Corporation. Their symbol is MSFT. And uh, yeah, Chase, you're right. The P.E. ratio is 38.1, but that is below the industry at 65.3. Uh, we do see price of sales 12.6, same as the industry. Price to book value 24.3 versus 109. And then price to cash flow is 30.5 versus 38. So all the valuation ratios for Microsoft, yes, are very expensive. We do say they pay a 0.9% dividend and use 32% of the earnings to pay that out. That's quite a bit to pay out for such a low dividend, but it's, again, it's because of the price of the stock being so high, your, your, your yield is not very good. We do say their sales are doing quite well year over year, up 14.1%. We do see that uh, the industry is up 12.5. Uh, we do see that earnings are up 16.9. Uh, industry up 7.2, so they are doing better there. That is a positive for Microsoft. We see current ratio is 2.6, above the interest at 2. That's positive. Debt to equity still looking pretty good, 55 versus 74. Return on equity, 43 versus 25. That's a very good number, but I do believe, uh, maybe Chase can check this out, I believe Microsoft has been buying that stock, so their equity may be very low. Uh, we see net profit margin for Microsoft, 33.5 versus 19.2. We see a turnover is 6 versus 6.2, and inventory turnover 25.9 versus 14.4. Chase, tell us about the numbers going forward. I didn't have time to look into the stock thing, buying back stock, but I do know, obviously, their margin's quite high. And again, I, I just want to be very clear. I think Microsoft's a phenomenal company. I, I love what the CEO's done. It, it's it, it's a great company. You just got to admit it there, but it, it's what you pay for it. I mean, the current price, 255.85, and it's continued to climb. I believe they set that new 52-week high yesterday as it's 255.99. And 52-week low, that's $162.30. Now, I got to June 2022. I see estimated earnings per share of $8.08. If we apply our 16.6 multiple of that, we get a target sell price of $134.13. <clears throat> so 
mm-hmm. little bit off on on our estimates there as the forward PE. I did calculate this is thirty one point six six. We were close because we thought it was about thirty two. So right. We, right. we're we're pretty right on on there. Um, but again, it's it's just expensive. I mean, it it could go higher, and what could happen is you know maybe their their cloud continues to grow phenomenally, and they steal all this market share from Amazon. And yes, at that point, maybe it is worth three hundred dollars a share. Right. But that's a big if. If that right. doesn't occur, you're just overpaying for it. And it's it's expensive. I mean, everything has to go right for Microsoft for it to continue to trade at these valuations. And we know that's just not the reality of life. There's yeah. always going to be speed bumps out there. And, and the other thing, too, is that uh, we looked at and they, they actually are, ha- have been buying, uh, let's see, for the last, uh, uh, what is this, nine months, I think, because they're on a fiscal year. Let me go back to the top here. Like six months, uh, they have bought back 12 uh, $0.4 billion of stock, up from $9.4 billion last year. What I don't like is they're buying that. Well, yeah, because they're buying their stock back at a higher price. I think they should keep that that money there. And, and, and again, the, the argument is not, is Microsoft a good company? Great company. You're correct on that, Chase. The argument is, what is the valuation you should pay for it that is reasonable that you as an investor can make money? And we've talked many times on the show about the greater fool theory, Will you buy it at this price, hoping there's a greater fool out there than you? It's going to buy it at a higher price, and that's where we get worried. And no one knows what that price is, and that's why we stick to our fundamentals. And we will not be right all the time. We'll, we, we always talk about we'll not sell the absolute top. We just don't know where it is. But we would rather sell this company, maybe, maybe sell Microsoft at you know the current price, and you go out and you find a company that's on sale, that's trading at 8, 9, 10 times earnings. That's how you invest long term because when you ride these things up, sooner or later – Everything went up, has to come down. So that that's a problem. And Microsoft, as you said, could go much higher. But uh, Fran, I, I think you're smart to consider taking some of the money off the table. And uh, again, you you did that before, and like, gosh, wish you didn't do that. But you did the right thing investing. And that's a hard part. Many times in life, you do the right thing, and it doesn't feel good, but it is good long term. Yeah. Right. And what I did early on is I had a financial advisor, but but I got rid of them and. He didn't want to buy Microsoft. I wanted Microsoft. I believe in Microsoft. I've, you know, I've always had Microsoft products and stuff. And so I did the invest in, investing on my own. I bought the stock by myself, and, I, and I've kept it for years. And I, I think I invested 4000 and now um, a return of 68000 So it, it is time to take a profit off of it, I guess, and, and, and listen to you guys for once <laughs> instead of doing it out there. You know, it's a hard thing because I – I like Microsoft. I don't want to give up Microsoft, but at the same token, I'm investing because I'm going to make money too. So I've got to listen to you guys. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, yeah, and everybody, oh, I love it. I love it. But that's what you got to go, get away from. Our, our slogan, no yeah. emotion, just results. And you've got to look at the numbers saying, gosh, this is just too expensive. But what you got to do, and it's going to be hard now, is you got to find another company that's on right. sale. And, and that's, that's the key because people say, oh, you sold too early. But they forget and they look what we bought. We did far better buying the other company at a lower price than we did by holding that company that was much higher. So. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. the hard thing that we kind of brought up in the workshop there, too, is you know you have to be willing to understand that it could go to 300. Yeah. Microsoft could go to 300. I, I'm not saying it's going to. But you know you can't kick yourself for that. Because I, I can tell you, we've sold stocks out, and it's like, gosh, that sucks that it went higher. But I can tell you what hurts more is when you're thinking about selling it, and then all of a sudden it drops. And then yeah, you're like, yeah. I knew I should. And that one hurts more yeah. because it's almost like you had the profit, then you lost it where, you know, if you held, held the company and you didn't make that money, well, maybe you bought something else and that did well. 
But when you hold it and it goes down, it's like, gosh darn it. Right. <laughs> you know? That's what I think hurts a lot more. But you just, again, just to be clear, you got to understand that it could go higher. And oftentimes, I'll tell you, when we sell a company, I won't look at that company for at least another year. I try yeah. not to look at the stock price because it just drives you crazy. Yeah. And, and yeah. we have ones well, that listen, we... Listen, guys, thank you so much. And again, if your listeners haven't attended your seminar, please do so. I I strongly recommend it. Well, thank you, Fran. We should record that and use that for our next commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you got my permission. Thank All right. Thank guys. you, Fran. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, just to be on the same track here, I mean, it's so important, again, that we have, and there's a company, we won't get what the company is, but we, um, and I think I actually blurted out at the workshop. But uh, that we bought, we sold at a very good price. Uh, and then we bought another company that did even far better than what that did. Um, so that does happen. And, and, and people just look like, oh, my gosh, had we held on to it, we would have made 20% more. Maybe. But on the other company that you bought, you might have made 40% more. So yeah. you really got to stick to the to the cooking. you got to stick to the fundamentals and realize that you've got to be disciplined. You can't be disciplined some of the time. Because if you do that, like, well, I'm not going to do it this time because of I really love this company. That's going to be problems. You've got to stick to it all the time. Absolutely. Just last thing on Microsoft, and I think we've talked about Microsoft enough today, but um, if you actually look at the earnings growth, and this yeah. is what concerns me, is the earnings growth right now from 2021 to 2022 is just 9%. That's not very high. That's not very high. I mean, it, uh, I believe that if you're having sustainable earnings growth of about 9%, Maybe your valuation could push 20, 25 times earnings. Maybe. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's again, why we sell at 16.6. Is yeah. It's long-term average. That's why we sell out there. We're not, ah, maybe this one will go to 30. That, that's where you just start to run into problems. And it's it's expensive and, and great company. Just as you get bigger, it gets harder to grow. You can't grow oh, at 30% yeah. every year if you're already a trillion-dollar company. You yeah. Know? And I, th- I think some of these companies over the trillion-dollar level are just like – just waiting to pull back down. So I'll put it that way. Let, let's change over. Uh, talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. He's got some great topics today that's very important for people, uh, long-term care. Uh, Harrison, you here with us? Yes, I am. Good morning, guys. Good morning. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about long-term care, the, the actual care itself, and then some of the insurance. I get people that um, ask about it. Do they need it? How to buy it? Uh, what are those types of things? So I wanted to give a little bit of background about the long-term care industry. So it started around in the 80s, and basically at that time, every financial company was selling long-term care insurance. So whether it was a bank, an investment bank, um, an insurance company, all these different companies are all selling long-term care um, insurance. And so what they found out is that the actuarial tables they used to determine what the premiums and the coverage should be were a little wrong. Uh, A lot more people were cashing in on these policies and needing the care than they had thought. So it uh, turned out to be not as profitable as these companies had hoped. And so like I said, there used to be a lot of companies doing it. Now there's only a handful or so that are still in that business. So when we think about insurance on a fundamental level, whether it's long-term care insurance, homeowners insurance, auto insurance, life insurance, whatever, insurance is meant to cover a low probability event that if it were to happen, has a high cost to it. So low probability, high cost. Like, for example, 
Your house is probably not going to burn down, but if it did, it would be catastrophic. That's why you have insurance where you can pay the premiums, and if it burns down, then the insurance company will, will help you through that. So as it relates to long-term care, it's turned out that it's actually more of a high probability event and a high cost. And so by definition, insurance isn't really the most efficient way to go about covering that because what the insurance companies have to do is they have to char charge these really high premiums because they have to pay out claims so often. Um, so again, it, it's not as efficient there. And so over the years, over the past 40, 50 years or so, these insurance companies, they've had to increase their premiums on current and new policy owners, um, which in many cases makes these policies unaffordable. So we have a lot of people canceling them. Um, and so this turns into a vicious cycle of these companies now have less and less premiums coming in because not as many people are buying them and more are canceling of them. But the insurance companies are still paying out to current policyholders that need the coverage. And so, you know, that can't go on for too much longer if, if you're hoping to make a profit. Um, so, you know, it, it turns out to be the case that you might have somebody who has one of these policies, they're paying on it for 20 years or so, and then, the, the premiums have increased by a few hundred percent over that timeline and, and they can't afford it anymore because long-term care insurance, it's a coverage unlike life insurance, for example, where the premiums can be increased periodically. Um, and so now people are lapsing on these things and the downside is there's absolutely no cash value in there. So even if you do pay you know, thousands and thousands of dollars into it and you can't afford it anymore, you get absolutely nothing out of it. So, you know, it's this problem that we have in the industry going on right now. Um, so when we think about elder care from a reality perspective, I'm not a huge fan of using insurance to cover that type of need because the reality is, yes, elder care is expensive, but usually the usually people who need that type of care they're also not doing much else with their life. They're not traveling. They're not playing golf every day. They're not going out to eat all the time. If you live in an assisted living facility or in a nursing home or have um, a caregiver, you, pretty much all of your income is going to that. So it's not like, well, this coverage is $5,000 a month, so that's an additional $5,000 a month you're spending. You're kind of shifting money that you were spending elsewhere to now this type of coverage. So it's not um, as dramatic of an increase as a lot of people might think it is. Also, um, in most cases, when people need elder care, it's relatively short term. It only lasts about a year or so. It's the um, it's like Alzheimer's and dementia, those types of diseases that are a little bit longer lasting. But for the majority of people who need it, it it's only about a year or so. Also, Elder care expenses are a deductible medical expense, so if you did need this type of care, you can deduct all the expenses that are going toward it, so while you're needing that care, you're really paying little to no taxes, which means more and more of your income is available to go to that type of care. And um, when I work with people, usually there are better ways to, to handle this other than insurance, such as levering assets like home equity that most people have. Um, later in life. And so, again, when you look at the whole situation, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of insurance. I'll put it that way. Okay. And I was going to kind of try to summarize this here because what you're kind of saying is that the, the premiums, these long-term care policies, do not make sense. They're very expensive. And I they can change. And they this can change. One. That, yeah, that, that's yeah, what that, gets that You might put it in and that, well, sorry, i got to raise your premiums down the road. And then whatever you put into it, you probably lost all that. So what you're saying is that 
you really have to kind of do a self-insurance, so to speak. And it's funny, I, I don't want to get too off topic here, but I talked with a client yesterday and he goes, well, we don't really need any money. They're getting inheritance from the, his father who's like 99 years old or something. It's like 250000 He goes, eh, we, we're, we're just probably going to give it away to the kids. I go, you know, you might want to be careful of that because long-term care insurance, I said, you're fine now. And I think they were in their 70s. I go, what if you live to be 85? Or, and all of a sudden, you need to go to the long-term care facility. You may not have enough money because— Need that 250000 back. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, and I think that's what you're saying, Harrison, is uh, some great points, is kind of build your portfolio because you're going to take the income, which you're not going to spend it on traveling any longer. It's going to be on your care. But the, the long-term care policies are—you're saying, I'm going to summarize here, useless. Yeah, I wouldn't say useless. There are there are certain circumstances where they can be helpful, but for the vast majority of people, um, I would say it's not a good use of money. We all have a limited amount of money to, to allocate places, and I don't think that for a lot of people, long-term care insurance is a place that that money should be going to. Yeah, and, and I would think that the people that may need it may not be the ones that can afford it, and they'll go put their money into it to try to pre- prevent you know a disaster when, they, when they're older but yet have a worse disaster because they put money into it, couldn't afford it, had to stop it, lost everything. I mean, it's just a very difficult situation. I have looked at the companies uh, that you're talking about that sell the insurance, and they're in major problem. I think GE had a problem with that as well yeah. because they, they can't. You, and I love the way you described the insurance factor, how, how, how that was very well done. But uh, that, again, they, they can't keep up with it because, fortunately, people are living longer, which is a good thing, but a bad thing for the insurance companies. So. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. The whole industry is messed up right now. Now, I think a way that they could fix it is there's all insurance, um, all long-term care insurance policies have something called an elimination period, which basically means you have to need elder care for a certain amount of time before the insurance actually kicks in. Usually it's 90 days. And right. so what happens is a lot of these insurance policies are kicking in because people need the coverage more than 90 days. However, as I said, most people don't need it longer than a year but most people can self-insure for a year pretty easily. It's mm. the Alzheimer's dementia that's like longer lasting 10 years. That's where people really need the coverage. So I think if they in- increase those elimination periods to like two or three years so that the only people collecting off of it would be people that need it, like Alzheimer's and dementia patients, um, that way the claims that these insurance companies um, experience would go down. So the premiums could go down and it could be a whole lot more affordable. But I don't run the world, so that's uh, nobody asks me. <laughs> well, but what, you, what you do, though, is very important, is that this is why people need to speak with you, a true financial planner, because you go to a financial planner, they're going to maybe sell you some mutual funds, maybe do some other things, but, but this is a conversation that each individual is, is differently, and with a true financial planner like yourself, they sit down, they discuss this, and you can go in more detail. We're spending, what, about five minutes here on the show to kind of go over it, it's a much longer conversation for people. And that, that's why, again, we give that free consultation for people that they can give you a call and sit down and, and go over all these different things. So. And the other thing, too, that I just wanted to point out is the scary thing is the way that this is sold. I mean, oh, we yeah. kind of talk about this with life insurance, same thing. It, it's sold on the emotional basis of, like, just imagine you have Alzheimer's for the last five years. You don't know where you are, and you can't afford. You're going to yeah. have to burden your kids. They're going to have to yeah. take care of you. It's sold on the, the emotional right. side. Yeah. So, yeah. So that a lot of financial planners, they're fine just selling these types of insurances because higher premiums mean higher commissions. So um, they're happy to do that. And, and that's another point is that Harrison at our firm, our financial planner, you do not sell any insurance. So there's no benefit for you to say, oh, yes, you need it. 
you're going to look at the true numbers and you're completely unbiased. You don't make any commissions. You're on salary. Um, and if somebody really needed it, we would send them somewhere else to, to have them buy it, not, not through us. So very, very important. Well, Harrison, yeah, and that, that's happened before. So, yeah. but not only, only when it's absolutely necessary. So. Yeah. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. I'll, I'll let you get back to your weekend and we'll see you Monday morning. Sounds good guys. See you on Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. Again, if you really want to sit down and have that conversation with him, it is free. It doesn't cost anything. And you got all these questions in your mind. You don't know what the future looks like. Give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858-546-4306. That's Harrison Johnson. You can also find him at the uh, website as well. Go to smartinvesting2000.com, smartinvesting2000.com. Send him a quick email and uh, free consultation with him. Very important. So We spent more time on that than I thought, but it's, it's an important uh, problem that the answers are not easy. No, so. it's complex. That's for yeah. sure. So, all right, uh, let's go back to the phones here. I said we got some time before this first hour is up here. Let's head out to Claremont and speak with Jerry. Jerry, you're in the Smart Invest over on Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good. Hey, listen. Uh, semiconductors have been in the news a little bit, and and so as a sector, I've been sort of uh, wanting to maybe explore that a, a little bit, and I was wondering what. what uh, you guys think about the semiconductors. I know there's, you know, shortages going on in, in the industry and, and kind of what drives the industry. And I, specifically, I was looking at uh, microchip technology, MCHP. Okay. And, uh, but if you could speak to that and maybe just a little broader in terms of semiconductors as a, as a sector to invest in. Sure, sure. And I think you said you're looking at it so you don't hold it yet. Is that correct? Pardon me. I'm sorry. I, I said you said you're looking at it, so you're not looking at. You don't hold it yet because you're just looking. That's right. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. All, looking all right. to buy. Let, let's let's take a look at the numbers here from Microchip Technology Incorporated, symbol MCHP. Not a great start, but no surprise. PE ratio 127 versus 38. Price to sales 8.2 versus 6.8. No price to tangible book value versus 24 in, in the industry, and that means you have to take away all the intangible assets for this company. There's no value there. And then we do see price of cash flow also expensive, 29 versus 21. Now, they do pay a small dividend of 0.96%. And, wow, they use 111% of, of their earnings to pay that out. So something something kind of crazy there. Uh, surprising, their sales are only up 0.4% year over year, below the industry, up 105 And the earnings per share from Microchip fell by 50% when the industry is up 1.3. So I, I've not seen this company before. So there's something strange going on here. This could be a great turnaround story, but you really got some things you got to look into. And, and looking at the balance sheet next, this is not a good balance sheet. Current ratio 0.9 versus 2.3 and debt to equity 173 versus 64. So they got a lot of debt on this balance sheet. The return on equity is a 6.1 versus 18. That's not good. Net profit margin 6.3 about a third of the industry at 17. And then receivable turnover, 6.3 versus 8.2, and inventory turnover, 2.9 versus 4.7. So got some really bad numbers here. Chase, anything good going forward for this company? Current price here to start with, with microchip technology is $161.73. 52-week high, $166.67. And 52-week low, well, that's $74.58. I go out to March 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $7.50. That would give us a target sell price of $124.50. But the big thing I'll point out here, the reason the numbers look so 
poor on on the uh, fundamentals that you just mm-hmm. went through is because it's ba- based on the gap numbers. I just gave you the non-gap number. Uh, okay. The gap earnings per share is just two dollars and ninety six cents. So I don't know what in the world this company is backing out. I mean, seven fifty to two ninety six is a huge discrepancy. I mean, they must be backing out stock-based compensation. Current, they must be currency fluctuations. The full gambit is what they're right. backing out. So I, I'm a little concerned on it. Um, kind of speaking more broadly on the semiconductor realm, I, I do think that there is opportunity there because yeah. we know that we have the shortage. Well, we need to produce more <laughs> chips, obviously. <laughs> that's that's a problem. The thing that I, I will bring up for people is I don't know if like the AMDs of the world are going to help solve that problem because they design the chips. Right. We don't have any problems with designing the chips. Oh, it's the manufacturing point. of the chips right. that we need to actually resolve right. that issue. And, you know, you talk about like a Taiwan semiconductor, uh, Samsung develops them as well or manufactures them. I think that's where you're going to need, you know, I, as much as I think LAM research is, is overpriced, the manufacturing equipment, the semiconductor equipment, I think those are the ones that could do, do well. Bring up again, we, we've talked about Intel in the past. Intel still has that kind of vertically integrated company. If they can fix their manufacturing processes, I think they'll be a huge winner because we need American manufacturing and we need a U.S. company that is going to do it. Right now, Samsung and Taiwan Semiconductors are the big players. I want Intel to be that that player there. Yeah. Didn't the the president get together some of the companies uh, either coming up or this week uh, to speak about uh, the production of – of uh, semiconductors in the U.S. I did not hear that. Did you hear that, Chase? I know that he's talked to the semiconductor industry about uh, what's going on and how can we fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. the problem is to fix it is going to take a long time. And by that time, it may not be a problem. So uh, this is something you'd have to actually see coming down the road. And I think it's almost too late to get into this. You may find a company that has something to do with building the, the chips that is undiscovered yet. But what you should be looking at now is like we kind of missed the boat on this one, and actually we didn't because we, we do have a, a company in our portfolio is doing well because of that. Okay. But um, what is going to happen next? What is going to be the next shortage six, 12 months down the road? Because that's where you find the values. Uh, this now is, I, I think, because everybody knows it's no secret there's a chip shortage, so the prices of these chip companies are, are way up. I, I, I don't think there's a big benefit to buy them now. They could go higher, but I, I think the, uh, I don't know. The boat sailed. Both sailed, yeah. So. All yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Okay. Great. Thanks. Good. Good advice. Appreciate okay. it. Gary, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All righty. Well, gosh, we got about thirty seconds here. Uh, we do have Ashcan in uh, San Diego, John and Coronado. Uh, we want to go to Facebook too. I think that's uh, Cummins. I think CI. That's the symbol for Cummins. Uh, no, CMI is Cummins. CI is Cigna. Cigna. Okay. Well, we'll be talking about that. Also, too, we got an email too from somebody who had a question also on um, uh, what was the stock here. Um, well, it's from Greg. So, we'll, we'll oh yeah, it wasn't a particular stock. It was more of a general question, question. about you know, kind of how, how we do things. Yeah, yeah, we, I, I, it's it's more of a, a fundamental. How how does the, the behind the scenes work? And that, that's what we talk about again at the workshops. So Greg's yeah. got to come to. Actually, I know Greg's been to one in the past, but yeah, you know, I, I think it's just, just a recap. Maybe sometimes a recap's nice. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we'll, we'll take that in the second half. So. Um, Stay tuned. We'll, we'll be back in about uh, just a few minutes here. You are listening to Smart Investing Show. Brent Chase. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. We'll be back.
Alrighty, welcome back to the second hour of Smart Business Show. Gosh, that break goes by so quick. I just got my headset off. I got to put it back on again to, to get back to it. So phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And, and Chase, since this uh, question from Greg was more of a general question, which I'll go over, I think I'll start with that for the uh, second half here. He says, if you buy a stock at 50, will a target sell at 80? And it reaches your target. Do you reevaluate a target sell price to consider holding it? And that's a great question. And the, the thing that uh, our clients realize that uh, we manage money for every single Monday, we go over all the numbers of all the companies that we own. So every Monday, we'll get a new target sell price, and it does move many times every single week. So it's not like you wait for it to hit that target sell price. You're watching, and if you're doing that, and this is why we say anybody can do what we do. We, we give you the formula. We give you the, the tools on how to do it. The thing is, you got to do it. Yeah. You can't just like do it and say, okay, well, my target sell price, I bought the stock at 50, it's at 80, so I'll just watch the stock. If it's 80, I'll sell. You can miss so much. That target sell price could have went down to 60, could have went to 100. You've got to stay on top of the numbers, and every single Monday we do that, and we love doing it. It's our, nothing original but the Monday numbers day is what we call it. Uh, and then you got to, when the quarterly reports come out, you got to look at the financial statements. What's going on with the business? Is there something changing on that? So it, it is very important. And that's, and I will say for 40 years, that's been my success is staying on top of things. And, and that's the big advantage that we have over individual, individual investors. It's our job. Yeah. We do it all the time. Individual investors like, yeah, you get excited about it. And then well, I'm going on vacation for two weeks or, you know, the, uh, things I'm tired. That, I'm tired. I have a job. Yeah. But things at work are really, I'm really busy now. I'm working 60 hours a week or, you know, the family. It's very hard for the individual to stay on, on top of this all the time. And, and if you love it and have the passion like Chase and I do for it, you're going to do fine. But if you're trying to do it to save that one, one and a half percent management fee, uh, you're probably going to do worse. And we've had many times of, of things where we, we've shown people like, yeah, you, you missed like a hundred percent gain because you weren't watching it, you know, yeah. and that could pay for your fees for 10 years. So, um, you know, so, so I hope, I, I think that answers it yeah, pretty I, well. I was just going to kind of touch on that Greg. as well. It's just, you know, our whole slow, uh, slogan at our, our firm is no emotions, just results. So when we hit that target sell price, we sell and it doesn't mean it, it hits it that morning at, let's say our target sell price again is 80. It hits it at 80 that morning. Okay. We're out. We'll check the numbers first to make sure there were no changes. We'll, we'll kind of think through it. But generally, it hits that target sell price that day, we're out, or the next day. It's not like, ah, oh, we really love it, so we're going to hold it. Yep. You know, we'll we'll sell out as long as that target sell price is true. And not much changes if, it, you know, we do the Monday numbers and then it's Thursday. It's unlikely the target sell price <laughs> is going to change a whole lot. Yeah, but yeah. we'll double check it. Yeah. But, I mean, that's why, as you said, it's so important to stay out. Because sometimes, I mean, you'll get a target sell price. It could increase, you know, a few percent. In a given week, if there's some fundamental change, I mean, you just talked about the semiconductors. Yep. Well, now we have the shortage. The semiconductor target sell prices have actually increased. Just a lot of them are overpriced. Yep. But the estimated earnings have increased. So that's why it's so important, as you said, to stay on top of it. Exactly. And that's the whole thing with investing. You got to stay on top of it. And we spend, I don't know how many hours a, a week. Uh, and I do a lot of reading on the weekends and at night and stuff. I mean, you really got to do it and you got to love it. And, and, and I say, you know, I've loved it for 40 years. And actually the first one I started doing it 40 years ago, I was not doing what I was doing now. It took me some time to learn what not to do to do it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I didn't Those have are the most valuable lessons. Right, right. And, and they, they really are. So, all right. Well, well let's go to the uh, Facebook. Uh, let's go to Robert for Facebook. Uh, he actually had CI here, which is Cigna Corporation. 
Uh, we do see a great start. I was going to say, too, he, he did kind of bring up. Oh, uh, you got another point? There's another question there. Sure. So uh, he's looking at adding it. In their last earnings call, they mentioned a $1.25 headwind from COVID for 2021. Is it safe to assume the analysts have this added into their forecast? Uh, when did that uh, come out, uh, that statement you're talking about? The their last earnings call, so I'm guessing what's. Probably, Probably uh, like uh, January, January, February. Yeah, if they're on a, a calendar, they pour, would have reported earnings uh, ending December 31st, probably get around January, early February or latest. Uh, so, yeah, I would say by now the analysts would have factored that in there. And, that, and that's why we use the mean, the average of the analysts, because we know they're not sitting in a glass bubble. They're sitting there looking at all this information as well. And if you got 10 analysts, you're going to get like 10 different opinions. But you get that average, and that's why we use that average when we go to those numbers. I'm 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 100 confident almost <laughs> that the analysts have that factored oh, in yeah. because uh, they they do a lot of research on on these companies when yeah. they project out those estimated earnings. So I, I think they know about that. I think they read the last conference call. Yep. So when when you give the numbers on the earnings, they're going to be pretty good yeah. based on that. So let's look at the fundamentals here. Signal Corporation symbol again is C I. Uh, great start here. PE ratio 10.7 versus 27. Price of sales, 0.5 versus 0.9. Unfortunately, no price to tangible book value, but that is true for the industry. And then price of cash flow, 7.6 versus 9. They do pay a dividend of 1.6%. Only use 0.2% of their earnings to pay that out. That sounds like a strange number. I'd want to check that number. But again, it's a a good number because that's true. Uh, Sales are up 4.3% year over year, beating the industry up 3.4%. Earnings per share climbed by 72%, uh, industry up 45%. Now, it's an insurance company, a little bit different balance sheet here. They got no current ratio. Debt to equity, 65 versus 127. Return to equity for Cigna, very good, 17.7 versus 12.2. Net profit margin, 5.3 versus 3.5. And they do not have a receivable or inventory turnover. Chase, what do you got for those earnings going forward? As a current price here for Cigna is $246.10. 52-week high, well, that's $248.84, and that 52-week low is $158.84. I got to 2022, December 2022, that is. Estimated earnings per share of $22.84 would give us a target sell price of $379.14. So while that is a positive, again, that's the non-GAAP number, I look at the GAAP estimated earnings per share of $18.99, it would give us a target sell price at $315.23, so still has some room for appreciation there, just not as enticing. Um, I think it looks okay. That, that's kind of my, my feeling on it. Yeah, and I, I think it looks okay as well. And the thing I was going to say, if you remember, you were listening when Harrison, our financial planner, was talking about long-term care insurance. You want to check the products that Cigna has. What are they insuring? Don't just say, oh, it's insurance company's going to do fine. You understand what they're insuring because they are in the healthcare area. What if they do have a small part in long-term care insurance? So again, this comes back to understanding the business, reading the 10K, the 10Q, to really understand what you get into. Because I do like these numbers as well, but that's my thought is that I just want to make sure I know what business I'm buying, not just an insurance company. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And um, I, I think the healthcare space is, is obviously interesting because it's, it's something that you need in, in downturns even as well. I, I do like pharmaceuticals a little bit better, large pharmaceuticals a little bit better. I think the, the yep. value proposition is stronger. I, I just think the health insurers, I mean, they've done really well, but the earnings are still strong. I just, I'm not as excited about them as some other things, I guess. I mean, yeah. Maybe on a pullback. I, right. I, I like the business, uh, but the other thing too that could occur is regulation. Uh, and that's true too. And I was just thinking too from the workshop, and again, I, I 
Fran talked about the workshop, but again, it was such a pleasure doing that workshop and seeing people there. And and uh, it was at uh, Alesmith Brewery. They were having beers. They were having food. It was just a great a great time. But the thing that we can't show you on radio is uh, we cannot show you how we get our target price. It'd be too complicated to explain yeah. our target buy price. Uh, and that's something that you'll miss by not going to the to the uh, workshop. But when we say, yeah, it looks like a buy, there's another thing that we put in for our clients to say, no, the price based on, uh, and we look at some averages and so forth of what the price has been before we jump into it. So that may not be the buy on this or any company that we give. So again, we're trying to point people in the right direction. I mean, we don't like to buy near the 52-week high. So no. I, I'm just going to guess uh, target buy price would maybe be around like, 230 235 so I, I i would say just be patient with it i mean there could be some opportunity there it might go higher you might miss it but uh, i'd rather miss it and find something else and buy it and be upset that you bought it so yeah um be patient with it i guess it there's decent potential but mm -hmm. as i said patience is key yeah and w w we have one insurance coming in our portfolio I, I wouldn't mind having another one you know if we can it's find a different type of insurance yeah, too. yeah it is yeah yeah and, I, and you know the name cigna but again, don't just rely on that because everyone still knows the name Polaroid. Well, it's, it's <laughs> funny, you know, the these technology companies get so much love for having subscription-based revenue. Mm -hmm. Well, what is insurance then? It's subscription essentially because <laughs> it's reoccurring. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not a subscription, <laughs> but it's monthly cash flow coming in from those premiums. But they don't get the same type of love that these technology companies do. And I know for the, and you got to be careful with the subscription type uh, things for the consumer because I, because I think, you know, uh, eventually we will go through a, a downturn in the economy. I think it could be 2023. And I think that could be one of the first things that you let go. Like, you know what? I don't need that. So I'm going to cut that one. So I, that's what worries me about subscription based services. Yeah. A lot of them aren't like tying you into anything either. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you can cancel anytime. Well, I can cancel anytime. My cash flow is hurting a little bit. Yeah. I guess I got to cancel it. Yep. Yep. So. Alrighty, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Ashcon. Ashcon, you're on the Smart Investor with Chase. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I just, I'm looking at Verta, uh, VRTX. Uh, looks like it's a pharmaceutical company and cystic fibrosis uh, treatments. They have a pretty good PE relative to their industry and pretty good net profit margin so i was wondering about them please i i, I kind of missed a little bit what you said you kind of uh i think probably yourself when i kind of missed something about how you use them or something i think you, you said no good uh, cystic fibrosis they're okay. very good in cystic fibrosis oh, so they have a pretty good pe they went down a bit and so they have a good pe and their net profit margin is pretty good relative to the industry so i was wondering if it's, a, it's a good investment or not okay well, well let's say let's uh veritex uh, pharmaceutical symbol is BRTX. We do see a nice start here with a PE ratio of 20.7 versus not material for the industry. Price to sales is good, 8.9 versus 10.8. Price to book value, 7.6 versus 14. And price to cash flow is 19.6 versus not material for the industry. Now, they do not pay a dividend. Their sales year over year are up 49% versus 18 for the industry. That's a positive. And even more so for Veritex is their Earnings per share up 128%. Industry is down 25%, but I do kind of get a little bit worried about such a high growth on earnings of over 100%. So you do want to check that Ooh. out. The balance sheet looks very strong. Current ratio 4.3 versus 3.5. Debt to yeah. equity is only 6.7 versus 44. So not much debt on the balance sheet at all. That's a big positive. 
Return on equity is 36.7 versus negative 21. Net profit margin, 43.7 versus negative 30.5. I'm kind of wondering, did they actually sell some assets or something? Because again, high growth on earnings, high net profit margin, something's just looking too good to be true here. Receivable turnover is 8.2 versus 4.8 and inventory turnover, 3.3 versus two. Chase, what do you got for the earnings? Yeah, so current price here for Vertex, Fairtex Pharmaceuticals is $213.35. 52-week high is $306.08. And 52-week low, well, that's $202.57. I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $13.10. Would give us a target sell price of $217.46. So um, oh. it'd be in our hold category. Maybe it falls further, though, and it could present an opportunity. Now, one thing I, okay. I will point out with it is the profit margin is extremely high right now. One thing that kind of concerns me is we know that pharmaceutical companies, they have very high margins on particular drugs because what happens, they spend so much money in R&D and they have drugs that fail. But the ones that come through, they have to kind of charge those higher premiums to offset the failures. Well, I'm a little concerned that their profit margin is so high because are they investing in other areas outside of the cystic fibrosis drugs that they may now have? If not... This could come off patent seven years down the road. They don't have a good pipeline. This this company could falter. So I would understand what oh. else is in their pipeline outside of what is this drug that's driving this phenomenal profit market. So, Chase, your question is, are they spending money to invest in other drugs? That's yes. what you're concerned Yeah, because I did kind of look at, I was looking at the balance sheet for something else. I did see here they did spend on R&D about $466 million. Uh, Percentage-wise of the revenue, it's that's a pretty good one there, I, you know. So that 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 checks out okay, but I but I know what you're saying there because there's there, there could be, and again that's the other thing too. One of these other drugs go off patent, it, it just looks too good to be true, and you got to find out why it's too good to be true because it could be something that blows up on you a year down the road. Oh yeah, that's what I was. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for calling. Have Ashton. a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. All right, Bye-bye. that is open the phone line eight six six five seven seven. 2473. That's 866-577-2473. And I, I do have another Facebook if we want to take a call. That's fine. Brendan can't say these because I get a notification here, so I, I don't know if he's got this one available. But, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, he, he's, 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 a, he's on top of this stuff, but I, I think he may. <laughs> yeah, because I get notified on it, and it's in a different page. So oh, I okay. That one. What, what you got? You okay, okay. We'll, we'll do that one then. So this one's from Vincent. It says, hey, guys, I have a position in Nucor. Currently trades over 19 times 2022 earnings, well above the 16.6 average. I hesitate to sell because I feel they could benefit from the infrastructure bill. Should I sell or hold a little longer? Well, let's take a look at the numbers on Nucor because, because again, we did kind of address earlier about the infrastructure. Uh, let's do the numbers, Chase, and then we'll kind of talk more about uh, our feeling on, on uh, the industry here. Uh, coming again is Nucor Corporation, symbol is N-U-E. We do see the P.E. ratio, 33.9 versus 56 for the industry. So that's a positive in a high uh, P.E. industry. Uh, price of sales, 1.2 above the industry of 0.9. Price of book value, 3 versus 2.8. And price of cash flow checks in at 14.8 versus 8.6. Now, they do pay a decent dividend, 2%. They use 68% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, look at the last 12 months of uh, revenue year over year. Down 10.8%, beating the industry down 12.6. Earnings per share for Nucor fell 42.8% year-over-year, but that was still better than the industry decline of 76.4%. Balance sheet looks very good. Uh, current ratio, 3.6 versus 2. Total debt-to-equity, 49.5 versus 72. So they got a nice balance sheet for Nucor. 
Return on equity, 6.8 versus 3.9. Net profit margin, 4.2 above the industry at 1.6. And then receivable turnover is 9 versus 8.4. And inventory turnover, 4.8 versus 4.3. What do you got for the numbers uh, going forward, Chase? Yeah, so current price here for Nucor, well, that's $80.29. 52-week high, $82.76. And 52-week low, $34.72. And Vincent, I think you already know the answer to the question here, as you already told us the PE is 19. <laughs> but uh, current estimated earnings per share is $3.82. Would give us a target sell price of $63.41. So, I mean, it, it, it's pricey. And kind of as we talked about earlier in the show is I do become concerned with, oh, everybody knows we're talking about an infrastructure deal. That's why the stock price, I think, has done so well. Oh, it's yep. infrastructure. I think it, maybe it goes higher once the infrastructure bill passes. Maybe maybe it goes to 90. I don't know. Right. But, again, if it's not what people are anticipating or if it, it takes longer than anticipated, this could fall back down to the 50s. It, it, it could falter quite drastically. I think right. the upside – or, excuse me, the downside risk really outweighs the upside potential on an infrastructure bill. Because everybody it, knows it's out there. Everybody knows it's out there. And one thing that we look at our Monday numbers is we look at the trend of those estimates, which we can't see here today. Uh, because I'm kind of curious, you said the target sell price was 60, I think you said? 63. 63. Uh, how much have those earnings estimates increased over the last, you know, 90 days? Well, here's the strange thing is this year the companies estimate $9.02. So, right. Um, I think the price of steel has gone much higher, so I think that's what's kind of going to yeah. push through. So you're going to see some great sales growth and earnings growth in 2021. But as that kind of stabilizes, how much of that infrastructure bill is going to be really recognized in the coming years what is that going to do for new core um i i just think it's it's too expensive everybody knows that infrastructure is a play it's not a, a secret at this time so i i i would recommend sell just because it is it's pricey and, and the other important part too here is that uh, with the infrastructure bill again a lot of it is not going to go to steel uh, it's going to go to other factors and also too it's not going to be spent in one year i think does this go over like a 10-year period yeah yeah so I it's a so, yeah yeah so I think there's a lot of people kind of going into this like, oh, this is going to be great. But I think the disappointments will come like, well, wait a minute. The, their earnings only went up 10 cents for the year. I mean, <laughs> it may not be the big thing we think it is. So that's why, again, you don't overpay for, for businesses because if you do that, you can get burnt down the road. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But I, I'm not really as thrilled uh, seeing more details on this infrastructure bill as I was before, because I'm not sure. And again, keep in mind, it's going to be over 10 years, not just a one-year period. They're going to spend $2 trillion. Yeah. So, all righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's head out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're the smart vegetable brand chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hi, guys. The stock I'm looking at is uh, Bungie Corporation uh, in the... Um food space, more like in Archer Daniels Midland, and I don't own the stock yet, but I'm uh, thinking of getting into it. Yeah, I've never heard of this company, so I'm kind of excited to look at it. Again, the company is Bungie Limited, symbol is BG. Uh, great start here, John. P.E. ratio 10.7 versus 26. Price of sales 0.3 versus 1.5. Price of tangible book value is 2.3 versus not material for the industry. And price of cash flow is 7.2 versus 18.2. So all the valuation ratios look very good. I also like the dividend. You got a dividend yield here at 2.5%. They only use 25% of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, sales were up 0.6%, not as good as the industry growth of 3.3. .3. 
However, earnings per share growth was 178%, well above the industry at 9.9. But I got a question, how can you grow your earnings at 178% when your sales are only up, well, less than 1%? The balance sheet, you got a current ratio of 1.5 versus 1.3. Debt to equity is 120 versus 72, versus 72. And I was really kind of getting, to really like this company. The 120 is not a, a deal killer. But it sure makes me question, like, okay, here, I, that's, that could be pushing up in the wrong direction. So I want to know how that debt is increasing or hopefully decreasing. Return on equity is very good, 21 versus 11. Net profit margin checks in at 2.8 versus 5.8. Receivable turnover, 24.2, double the industry at 12.6. And inventory turnover, 6.3 versus 6.2. Chase, what do you got in the units going forward? Yeah, so I just want to give our listeners somewhat of an idea as well of what this company does. And John kind of brought up uh, Archer Daniels Midland is a, kind of a competitor, similar company, but some people might not know what they do. And I, I'm a fan of Archer Daniels Midland. Yeah. I, I like the yeah. business. But what they actually do is they, they operate through uh, five five different segments. They're an agribusiness company and a food company. Uh, they have the agribusiness, the edible oil products, milling products, fertilizer. I like fertilizer. That's a simple business. Yeah, nice <laughs> business. <laughs> And then they have sugar and bioenergy. So, like, they do things such as purchase, store, transport, process, and sell agriculture commodities and commodity products, including oil seeds, like soybeans, things of that nature. So, I mean, that's kind of what they do. I want to give people an idea. We like things like that. It's yeah. just a simple company. But uh, looking at the current price here, $79.45, 52-week high. That's $82.33, and 52-week low is $32.68. Now, I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $6.41. Gives a target sell price of $106.41, so it has some good appreciation there. Uh, only thing I, I will point out is it's kind of strange. In 2019, a company made $4.58, but then they lost $9.34 on a gap basis. In 2020, they made $8.30, and then on a gap basis, it was $7.71. So uh, not sure what happened in 2020 for them to make such a, a huge increase there it looks like that six six dollar six dollar fifty range mm -hmm. is kind of more of a normalized range just very curious what what, what occurred in that year yeah so that's another thing i kind of look at as well john and, and again you got the strangeness with the low sales growth but you got the earnings growth and I, I think this company is worth the research I, I like the concept i like what they're doing but i really want to understand and again don't forget about that debt to equity of 120 that, that kind of worries me a little bit but i definitely worth the research all right, John? Okay. okay, thanks, guys. All right, have a good one. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, All right, that opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, I had this strange feeling like, okay, let's take a break for the commercial. We don't do a commercial during our show. It's all it's all about the listener. Yeah, we, we have a top-of-the-hour break, and that's it. That's it. That's it. So, all right, uh, let's go up to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hey, good morning, uh, Chase and Brent. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. How are you doing this morning? Uh, you know, I live in San Diego, and uh, uh, I just count my blessings. Well, I'm and actually, well, you live in Alpine, which is very beautiful out there as well. Uh, yeah, it's not quite as much traffic, but we've already put in a couple of stoplights, so it's getting a little civilization. Well, yeah. we're not going out there any longer. That's that's just too many. <laughs> no, it's just like it's uh, it's uh, you know what what's what's to come what's to become of us. The growth is anyway, just phenomenal. I'll a group. I'm a I'm a dividend investor. I call you and ask you. Uh, you gave me a good good feed on uh, AT and T a couple weeks ago, and I'm 
what's the possibility of uh, Altria continuing to pay their dividends? Well, let's take a look at uh, Altria Group Incorporated for you. Their symbol is M-O. Uh, we do see a P-E ratio of 21.4 versus 20.1. We see price of sales 3.7 versus 4.3. That is good. Uh, no surprise here. No price of book value. Same as the industry. And price of cash flow for Altria Group. That is 20.2 versus 13.5. So I would like to see that number a little bit lower. Now, you do get a 6.7% dividend. They do use 141% of their earnings to pay that out. And we kind of know this is what the companies are kind of doing. They're just paying out those dividends like crazy. I think everything they make, they, they pay out. But that payout ratio does seem kind of high. So I, I'm kind of curious and had to look at the cash flow statement to see if they may have to cut this dividend because if you can't, I mean, you can't pay out 140% of what you make all, all, all the time. Now, there could have been write-offs or something that caused lower earnings, but you want to understand that because if there is some problems going on, they may have to cut that dividend. We do see sales were up 4.2% above the industry of 0.2. Uh, earnings per share climbed by 467% uh, when the industry is up only 105. Uh, <laughs> love the balance sheet of the, the tobacco companies. <clears throat> Current ratio, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 0.8 versus 1.1. Debt equity, 1,038%. Uh, can't beat that. And the industry is a negative 657. Don't know how you get a negative debt to equity there, but that, that's the craziness of the, this industry. Return on equity is 98.9 versus a negative 180. We do see a net profit margin, uh, only 17.1 versus 21. And I thought that net profit margin used to be higher. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not sure why the 17.1, why maybe it's declining, which could be a problem. Receivable turnover 180 versus 14 and inventory turnover six versus two. Chase? Yeah, so current price here for Altria Group, well, that's $51.49. 52-week highs, $52.59 and 52-week low, plus $35.02. I go out to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.87. Here's a target sell price at $80.84, so that is a positive. And, and on the cash flow front, I, I am kind of intrigued as to the, what's occurring there because I, I look at the uh, earnings per share on a non-GAAP basis. There were $4.36 again for 2020, but on a GAAP basis, it was $2.40, which generally tells me there's probably some write-offs, maybe some non-cash expenses. So I, I would want to kind of look a little bit more at their cash flow over the last several years to see how sustainable that dividend is is and it, my guess is it, it's probably safe but the thing that we've talked about recently was who in the world still smokes cigarettes you know <laughs> it, it's i know that it's still out there but it, it seems like it's not as prevalent and i know you know altria has invested in some other areas i, I believe either them or gosh what's the other big one that i'm blanking on they used to be um rj Obama. reynolds was one um i, I know who you're thinking reynolds american was one but they sold the british tobacco and destroyed the company yeah. no the big one that they spun out from one another i, I know what you're thinking i'm not can't playing it on it but yeah. anyways those two uh had invested in you know like philip morris philip morris that's yep. what it is they invested in like jewel which is you know the vape and some other mm -hmm. things so I, I i just well wait a minute isn't philip morris altria group no they spun out so they are yep. separate companies now it, and it's kind of funny yeah, here, Jim, because Philip Morris symbol used to be M-O. Philip Morris was right. spun out, and now Altria has the symbol M-O. So it's kind of a confusing thing of what they did. Yeah, one of them's like an international uh, mm -hmm. company, and the other one's more domestic-based here. So I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the industry, I guess. Yeah. I think we talked about how the last cigarette is estimated to be smoked in 2050, I think, is what the was research 2050 was. 2050 or 35? 
it, it, 2035 was, was electric cars. I think, uh, I yeah. think it was 2050. Remember? Yeah, the last cigarette to be smoked. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I do know that several years away, you might be able to milk out that dividend, but um, I, I'm just, I'm not a huge well, fan of this industry, I guess, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and I did look at the cash flow for him, uh, Jim, as well. And they, they do have tremendous cash flow. I mean, their cash flow uh, for the last 12 months was $8.3 billion. That was higher than last year's $7.8 billion. So that's what's kind of keeping these afloat. If that changes, sure. then then these are going to be in trouble. I know you're looking for the dividends, and that's what you want to watch because the dividends are great. And the other thing, too, you, you don't want to collect the dividend by the stock at 50, and the stock goes from 50 to 40. That's going to wipe out the gain in your dividend. So be careful. Well, can you comment on the debt to equity? You said like a 1,000% or something. What's, what's the scoop on that? Well, let, let me see if I can find the debt to equity real quick here because I got, I got this pulled up. So let, let me just see. What, and I, I think what they have is probably very low equity. Uh, and probably very high debt. Uh, let's see. Their their total debt is at twenty seven point nine billion dollars, and that is increasing. A year ago, is twenty seven billion. So what's happening is that their equity is probably declining. Their equity now is two point eight billion, down from six point two billion a year ago. So you know, eventually somebody may come up and say, "Wait a minute, uh, Altria, <clears throat> we want to collect on our money because we don't think you can pay going forward." If that starts happening. They could be forced into liquidation, into bankruptcy, and the whole thing would just collapse. So I, Got it. I don't like to see the rising debt. Uh, that that's their big problem, which right now is not a problem on the surface, but I think it's bubbling underneath. Yeah, and I, I do. I, I I struggle with what it, what do they have that kind of creates the situation because a lot of like franchise based companies. You know, you look at like a Marriott, or you look at you know food companies that that have franchises. Well, they're an asset mm-hmm. asset light type company where they kind of have debt that they use on different, you know, marketing, things of that nature, but they don't have the assets to offset that debt. So their debt to equity looks artificially high, but they have cash flow. Uh, Altria might be in a similar spot, but I'm just not sure why that <coughs> debt is so high, and that, that's what I would want to understand. And, and the other thing I want to point out, too, because since on the balance sheet, I looked at the uh, intangible assets, they also have $13 billion of intangible assets. Now, if those, and I don't know what those assets are, you got to kind of understand those because if they have to write those down for whatever reason, it's going to weaken the balance sheet even more. So you, you, that's what you, we talk about. And that, that's why it takes us 10, 15, 20 hours to buy uh, a business, invest in the business, because we want to understand these things. Like, well, why is that so high? Could that be a problem down the road? And that's what I'd want to know. It's like, are, are these assets safe or not? And uh, it worries me. All right? Yep. Thanks for calling, Jim. Great analysis. Great analysis, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank so. you. Appreciate that. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good day, and I'll hear you next week. Bye. You too, and enjoy Alpine. <laughs> All righty. That opens another phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And, Chase, I know we went to two hours. Was it two months ago, three months ago? I think it was like December. December, yeah. December, so, January, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just feels like, a, you know, on the, the one-hour show, I wouldn't feel comfortable kind of doing, looking at the balance sheet. It's like, no, oh, we got to get the next caller and so forth. Now I feel a little bit more comfortable. I know I have people maybe waiting a little bit longer, but if we see something like this to really look a little bit deeper, yeah, I feel we can do it. So, all righty, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. Can I interrupt super quick? I'm you so most sorry, certainly but, can. Uh, Altria has something very interesting. Their yes. founders 
include Philip Morris and then two random ones I didn't expect on there. Craft Foods Incorporated and mm. Nabisco. I never thought of that. So. Yes. And, and, and they used to be part of – Craft used to be part of them or something? Because I remember they were tied together somehow. Yeah, but they spun off, obviously. They, they, yeah. They spun, yeah, yeah, because Craft yeah. – it was kind of funny back in the old days. Ah, oh, food company, tobacco company, same thing. It was kind of like a – I guess a consumer. Bomber, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and then I think they want to make that split. You know, crafted. They don't want to be part of the the, the smelly tobacco companies. So yeah, because when we did our post, I remember somebody <coughs> commented that. Well, doesn't don't they have craft as well? So they have the food because we asked like, yeah. what what else does this company have? And people were like, oh, well, don't they have food? No, craft used to be part of it yeah. several years ago. And then R.J. Reynolds had Nabisco. Was the other food company? Uh, yeah. I don't. I don't think Nabisco is uh, public any longer. I don't even know what Nabisco yeah. is. I don't. Uh, Nabisco is. Um, uh, they used to have. I remember cookies, and it's, it's another company, kind of like Kraft, but a smaller version. They had like crackers and and cheese. I think they had some cheese and stuff. But they they Kraft just uh, took them away. And and uh, I mean, we, we did say I don't, I don't think we did this last week, but the amount of ketchup that Kraft Heinz produces. Uh, what was that number again? <laughs> it was like three hundred thousand. I didn't tons. do the post. Yeah. Oh, you didn't do the. Oh, okay. I'm oh, doing the post okay. next week. Oh, okay. Well, well, we'll tease for that next yeah. week. That was a tease. We're not gonna give you the number. You got to tune in next week to get it, or, or go to our uh, social media, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase, <laughs> and we'll see that boy. I thought, gosh, I thought for sure we did that already. That's why I couldn't remember the whole thing. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm, I'm using that next week. You yeah. got it written down here somewhere. Yeah, it's probably there. So I'm teasing. Alrighty, uh, let's go up to Escondido and speak with Paul. Paul, you're on the Smart Investing with Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Uh, Borg Warner. Ah, that's a name from the past. Do you hold that or look at buying it? No, just looking. Okay. Well, let's see if it's a good look for here for you or not. Again, this company is Borg Warner Incorporated, symbol BWA. Uh, a decent start here, I say that, because the P ratio is 21 versus 129 for the industry. Uh, price of sales, 101 versus 1.2. Price to book value, 4.1 versus 9.7. And then price to cash flow, 9.8 versus 14.4. So valuation ratio is looking pretty good. You do get a 1.5% dividend. They use 29% of the earnings to pay that out. Unfortunately, year over year, sales are down 0.1%, industry down 12.8. Earnings per share fell by 41% when the industry is down 75%. So don't know what's going on here with these companies. We'll talk more about it when we get through this. Uh, we do see current ratio is 1.6, same as the industry, debt to equity for Borg Warner. 59, beating the industry at 86. Return on equity is 9 versus 5.8. And then net profit margin, 5.6 versus 0.94. And inventory turnover, 7.9 versus 5.7. Receivable turnover, 4.2 versus 6. Chase, what do you got over there for the numbers going forward? Yes, the current price here for Borger Warner, that's $46.48. 52-week high is $50.60. And 52-week low, $24.27. Now I go to December 2022, I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.82. Gives a target sell price of $80.01. Uh, so I, I like the valuations here. And the other thing, too, I remember looking at Borg Warner a couple of years ago. We didn't end up buying it, um, just didn't have available cash mm -hmm. in the portfolio. Um, but we did kind of take a closer look at it. We decided to go a different direction, actually, is what we did. Um, but I did like that they have the different types of drivetrains. You know, they're not right. just combustion engine. They do have the electric strategy. And one of the headlines I see here is Borg Warner to accelerate that electrification strategy. So they're not going to be phased out if we right. do heavily shift to that, that electric vehicle feature. 
And here's one thing I'm thinking of. We talked earlier about the, the chip shortage, how to take advantage of that. Well, we know that the car companies are having a hard time getting chips to build the cars. What does that mean? They're not building as many cars. Therefore, Borg Warner is probably not putting out as many drive shafts. Now, when things turn around for the car companies to get those chips, they're going to build more cars. Perhaps you could see an increase with a Borg Warner with their drive shafts. And, and I, I don't remember all the other things they do. I know they do car parts and stuff like that. But you want to understand that because that could be a benefactor down the road as a chip situation turns around because more cars will be produced. Although I do believe perhaps in 2023, uh, we could head into a slower economy, which maybe that car will slow down. So maybe we'll have a boom in car production, not this year, but maybe in 2022. And Borg Warner, I think, could be a benefactor of that. Yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I think it's interesting. Um, I might be a little patient with it in terms of kind of watching it here. Uh, you know, I just kind of talk about we do set target buy price on our companies. I'm not sure if it would necessarily hit that target buy price at 46 48 uh, but you know i think it's definitely worth the watch definitely worth the further research i, I like the business a lot and and paul i i also wish they had a little bit higher dividend the 1.46 percent dividend i wish it more like a two percent dividend would make me feel a little bit better but i i think this is one to kind of put on the watch list kind of look at it uh, it may be a buy at this level uh, but i think i'd be patient maybe wait uh, 12 24 months but if it went from what 46 to 60 yeah, that's a pretty darn good return yeah. so Alrighty. Okay, appreciate it. All right, Paul. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye bye. So I was glad we kind of looked at that one because again, when we talked earlier about the chip things, like, well, here's a benefactor that that, that sometimes it doesn't even tie to. I never would have thought about to look at a car company, and I, and I think it was General Motors said that they're they're gonna is it sales are gonna be down two billion or their earnings are down are gonna be two billion. Did you see that? Uh, I, yeah, I don't recall what what hit it is, but yeah, I remember. Of course, you can't produce the vehicles the same yeah. way without those chips, and yep. everything needs chips now. And here's the other thing too, <laughs> going back to the semiconductors, is it could only get worse because we're building more and more products that use more and more chips. Yeah, that's true. So it, it is something to, to definitely keep an eye out for. And um, yeah, you're right. I mean used cars those mm -hmm. prices have accelerated as well so now it's like well we need the new cars because yes. the used cars are expensive yeah. too and i gotta get my 2006 escalate on the market to sell it i mean it's been sitting in the garage for what three months now i need to sell that before that used car market dries up yeah. I, I probably get a good price for that now so anyone wants a 2006 uh, escalate let me know i'll <laughs> come <laughs> for sale but but uh, the thing too with borg wanted though i, I really want to understand more because i don't remember we looked at it what their products were because do they use the chips? drive chains well but i think that other things as well and what, what, what i'm questioning which i don't know the answer to which we want to find out do they have parts that have chips in them as well if they do that kind of throws out my theory you know i mean i, I don't know what their parts are i think they have more than drive trains yeah I, are I'm you kind of looking at it? it yeah turbocharger and turbocharger actuators e-boosters timing system products including timing chains uh, variable cam timing, crankshaft, and camshaft sprockets, tensioners, guides, and snubbers, front wheel drive transmission chains, four-wheel drive chains, and hybrid power transmission chains. But I, I think the transmission chains were their, their, their money maker. Yeah, and, then, and the thing you mentioned, the turbochargers and stuff. Now, I don't know. I'm not a mechanic, but do they use chips now in turbochargers to trigger it on or something? I don't know. Or test levels. You know, yeah. I mean, that's the thing now. It's like, oh, your car can sense if you need to do this. It's like, oh, interesting. Yeah. 
So, so that's what you have to kind of look at. And, and that, to me, is the fun of, of investing is the research to find things out. And a lot of times you're wrong, like, oh, no, can't do that. But uh, when you are right, then it's fine. Yeah. All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Now, tell people a secret. Right now, we have all lines open except for one, and that one is Robert Richard, I'm sorry, in Point Loma, we're going to go to right now. Richard, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Well, thank, thanks for taking my call. Thanks for being um, there. Um, Viacom is what I'm interested in. I've owned that stock. Of course, it's been in the news because it went crazy with a rogue investor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, When I owned it in the past, I bought in about 35 37 and then I noticed that a bunch of brokerage firms went negative on it, so I sold it at 55, and of course it went up over 90. Mm-hmm. But um, now it's down around 40, and I'm getting interested again. Okay, yeah, and we've been kind of watching this as well. It's a hedge fund, which I forget the name of it. That uh, Archegos. Uh, what is that, Archegos? Yep. Yep. And and they had, I think the value of their portfolio was 20 billion, but they let but they managed 30 billion. Or was it? But it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was like all his money. It's yeah. a crazy story. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy story. And and that's why Viacom took the big hit. And again, it got way. And I think, uh, Richard, you sold a good price around 55. It went beyond craziness. I think it did surpass 100, which we'll look at in a minute. But that's just the craziness there. But let's see, again, if it's time to buy it again. And we, we actually did look at this before. So we've got some insight that we'll kind of give for you. Uh, Come again, it's Viacom, CBS Incorporated. Symbol is V I A C. Great start here. PE ratio 11.2 versus 92.9. Price to sales, 1.1 versus 2.9. Unfortunately, no price attainable book value, and that's the same as the industry. And then price to cash flows, 8.9 versus 14.7, which is a good number. Now, they do pay a 2.3% dividend, use 26% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, sales, they were actually down 6.3%, uh, a little bit worse than the industry, down 5.4. Earnings per share fell by 26%, but the industry was down 79%. Now, look at the balance sheet here. This is a, a concern I do have. Current ratio, 1.7 versus 1.4. That is good. Debt to equity, 128 versus 109. And keep in mind, these numbers are for the period ending December 31st, and that's an important date to remember. We'll explain why I'm going to get through this. Uh, we do see return on equity is 16.1 versus 3.3. Net profit margin, 10.3 versus 3.1. Receivable turnover is 3.7, not as good as the industry at 6.2. And same thing with inventory turnover, 6.5, below the industry at 16.2. Chase, what do you got for the earnings there? Yeah, so current price here for Viacom CBS. Again, they, they did merge again, so they are Viacom CBS now. So current price, 41.88. 52-week high, $101.97. And 52-week low, that's $14.39. Now, I got to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $4.22. Would give us a target sell price of $70.05. So the estimated earnings on that and the valuation looks pretty pretty fair here at this this level. And Richard, the thing I was talking about, I said we would address later on in Chase. Remember the, the problem why this fell, and I forget the exact numbers, but a, but a convertible issuance, I think, of a, of a two billion. billion. Oh, two billion. Yeah. And I think also some... Oh. I think it was two billion total in capital they were raising. Yes, yes, yeah, and I think maybe in these numbers, I got to check these, Richards. I, I think of the two billion, one billion, I think was converts, and one I think was strict, strictly debt. Now again, I talked about that debt to equity now, one twenty-eight. 
Well, these are as of December 31st. When you look at the balance sheet that's going to be released in March 31st, you're going to see a much worse or uh, much higher debt to equity. It could also depend on when they announced it because they might not have issued it. So it oh, might that's not right. come until June. Oh, you were, I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so it may still look good in March, but you know it's coming. And that the problem that we've talked about with convertibles before, which is where you can buy a, uh, a bond and then convert it to a stock at a different price, is that they're paying a very low interest rate on these bonds. But what could happen is that if the stock is, we'll just say, convert price at 50, and the stock hits 50, well, now you got these people going to convert, dilute your earnings. Uh, the, the other thing, too, I'm going to say, too, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to, is a CBS, I think, has really kind of irritated a lot of people. Um, you know, there's like 70 million conservatives out there that really were for Trump. And I've heard a lot of people saying they're like they did that piece on 60 Minutes. They, they keep screwing things up. I mean, and it worries me that they're losing viewers. So I, 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 I'm not going to say which party I'm in favor of, but I don't care which party you are. If you've got half the population doesn't like something, you're a... I'm going to disagree with you there. Well, good. Go ahead. I, I, just, <laughs> I, I, I will say, I mean, there, there's another half of the population that hated Trump. So, you know, yeah. there, there is, they're maybe speaking to that market. And, um, you know, I, it all depends on what the subscribers are, what the, the viewership is. If yeah. the viewership's still there, hey. But, you know, uh, maybe the, the people, they may might lose some viewers. And we know we lose some listeners. But, you, but you, know, you know what? But you're, you're right, because you may lose those listeners or viewers. But then you might pick up more, yeah. <laughs> more viewers. So, but but again, just kind of thinking through these things. And 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 uh, but but I I I don't like Viacom because I was very excited when I saw that decline. The big thing's the debt. Oh, we didn't. Did you do the numbers yet? You did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, what was the high high stock price? One hundred one. One hundred one. Yeah. So I know because when I saw it fall from one hundred one, uh, Richard down to like forty five or forty, I thought, wow, this could be an opportunity. I wasn't excited because remember we looked at it at seventeen last year, <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, one hundred one, that's crazy." Yeah. <laughs> well, could, could I say something about the debt? About sure. I, I'll look into it more. I think that's a, a legitimate issue to check out. But I was looking at it kind of as a positive because they did this at eighty-eight, and and it seems to me if you get a crazy stock 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 price that goes up dramatically, you should take advantage of it, even if you think it's. Um, unsustainable and so if they did it at 88 um then they were really smart oh yeah and, and i didn't know because i said the convert price might be 50 but you're right if they did this at 88 and the convert price is 88 that, that, that's very smart that that debt will probably yeah I, I don't know exactly what it was but that's my impression when they did it so um so i agree that the equity if they did an equity offering that that is a good idea because yeah you're taking advantage right. of like, GameStop, yeah, they're they're brilliant to issue stock right now. Right, they can get this crazy price. Uh, but the other thing too, Richard, I did pull this up. Viacom did announce a two billion dollar debt offering. One billion of it is actually a four point two percent senior note due in two thousand thirty two. So it has nothing to do with their uh, high okay. equity price. That is just strict debt. So that that right. is something that that would be a concern. And then they also do have one billion dollars in aggregate principal amount of uh, 4.95% senior notes due in 2050. So uh, not really capitalizing on it. I think you're right. It would have been wiser to just issue some equity there because the stock price did get a little uh, overpriced at, at that time. Hey, and I just yeah. took, took a, cool. look, a quick look at the debt. Uh, it is now total debt for the company is $19.7 That is about 
a billion more than last year at 18.7 billion. So their debt seems to okay. be increasing. So yeah, I'm kind of right. worried about that a little bit. Already, a lot of the a lot of the debt is related to the merger, mm-hmm. and then um, they're essentially um, they're not getting full value for their streaming service. They're trying to build um, customers rather than charging a price that makes them profitable. I, I think that's what's going on too. Well, what is their streaming service? I don't know what they're. They saying. have Pluto and then the CBS All Access. They... Isn't yeah, don't they have? Uh, What's Paramount the, Plus. They have one of the mo- Paramount. Oh, Paramount yeah. Plus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So anyway, um, it's there's a lot of debt. There was a lot of debt when I bought it the last time. Yeah. So, um, anyway, well, thanks for the analysis. All right, Richard. Well, th- thanks for calling. You have a great one. Okay. Bye. 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 I, I do have to correct myself. Uh, sure. Richard was right. I was. My article was from March 2020. So they issued two billion in 2020. 2021. They did take advantage of that high stock price. Uh, it offered 20 million shares of Class B common stock at $85 per share. So this was just an oh, equity wow. rising, uh, raising their net proceeds of $1.67 billion. Uh, so I don't like that it dilutes it, but I think they did take advantage of a higher stock price. But then they also issued 5.75% mandatory convertible preferred stock of about, I'll call it about a billion dollars there. And it seems to me, and again, you said 2020, now 2021. Are they just on a constant thing where they can't make enough money to run the business? They have to keep issuing more debt to run the business. I, I know Richard mentioned about the merger. Um, sometimes This is why I don't like mergers sometimes. I mean, it's great to grow. And you know who the famous CEO that said the opposite has done very well? Mary Barra. Oh, yeah. Uh, General Motors. She said, no, shrink. let's make it shrink it. Because and General Motors had this thing, oh, we got to be the biggest, got to be the biggest. Biggest is not always better. Because sometimes you might get in a situation to where to feed the big animal, you got to keep issuing more debt and more capital, and it just, you can't do it. I, I like businesses that can feed themselves with their own earnings and cash flow. So. Yeah, I, I do think I, I like some of the other competitors here more than mm-hmm. Viacom, CBS. I mean, that's another issue in of itself is there's a lot of players now in the streaming. I mean, yep. talk about Paramount Plus. Okay, great. Well, now you have you know Hulu, you have Disney quick. Plus, you have quick, real quick. What's on Paramount Plus? Actually, that's not that bad. Really? I, yeah, they. Ha- they I don't know anything on Paramount on there. Right, um, Brendan, what do you got? I see. Uh, okay, we got SpongeBob. We got Celebrity oh. Deathmatch. We got a bunch of MTV shows. We got a bunch of CBS shows. The, twi- the like the new Twilight Zone remake. These are just off on the top of my head. So okay, boom. so you must be not. Okay, so Chase, you got you got. See, I, I'm showing Brent over here the, the symbol for Paramount. You know. Oh, uh, I, know, I know that. Yeah, and I think of movies that. when oh, I think okay. of because I remember watching the movies. You see yeah. the big. Paramount uh, thing there, so yeah, but I, like, I, you know, but Spen- SpongeBob and uh, MTV. Oh, Yellowstone! My dad loves watching Yellowstone. What's That's Yellowstone? Too. What is Yellowstone? Another, um, I don't know, it's about uh, this guy who has a cattle. He's like an independent cattle guy, okay. but uh, a bunch of people are trying to take over his territory and stuff. It's really, really fun if you ever get a chance to watch it. So, you, you know, the problem is there's just way too much stuff to watch on TV. I mean, I, I've got Netflix, I've got HBO Max. I mean, I could spend twenty four seven watching TV and still not see everything. It's just so hard to watch everything. Yeah, I mean they have, they have yeah Comedy Central on there too, which is oh I like Comedy Central, although I haven't watched it a long time, but I like the idea. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, they got some good stuff. I mean, All right, but so. but that's the issue is now you have so many different streaming, and it, it's so funny just seeing how the world evolves and changes. You know, you talk about the bundled cable package. Oh. It's great because you have all these channels and all that. Yeah. Wow, now I have so many channels. Well, I don't need all these channels, so I'm going to go to streaming. 
Well, now all of a sudden we're starting to build all these different streaming services. And people are going to end up with 20 different streaming services. <laughs> it's like, gosh, I don't want this either. Yeah. <laughs> I want all these channels at one cost. I don't want to have 20 different services. Yeah, and, and you get involved. Like, I'm on Netflix right now watching this show called Bloodline. It's like three series. I mean, I, I, I can't watch. I don't have enough time. I mean, I, I try to watch like an hour of TV a night, just kind of relax and so forth. But an hour a night, I'm not getting anywhere near watching everything that's out there. So. All righty, phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go to Oceanside and speak with Duke. Duke, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, Brent. Good morning, Chase. Good morning. Good morning. I, uh, uh, many years ago, a friend of mine recommended a, a medical REIT uh, company because it was paying a 25% dividend. Mm. And uh, so I bought some. And uh, now I'm wondering if maybe it's time to sell. The name is uh, Omega Healthcare Investors, and its uh, ticker symbol is OHI. Oh, okay. Well, let's take a look at it. I've never heard of this company before, this REIT before. Uh, we do see a P-E ratio of 56.5 versus not material for the industry. And again, this is on Omega Healthcare Investors Incorporated, symbol OHI. Uh, price of sales, 9.8, well above the industry at 2.9. Price of book value, 2.7 versus 1.8. And price of cash flow does look good, though, 17.9 versus 26. Now, I think you mentioned a 25% dividend. They're not getting that now, so you must have paid a very low price for this company or for this REIT. Yes, I bought it uh, at about 6. Okay. Well, the current dividend yield is 7.1, but I see the payout ratio is 384%, so that does worry me somewhat. We do see sales are down 3.9%, industry down 16.9%, earnings per share fell by 56 industry down 282 We see on the balance sheet, no current ratio versus 0.5, debt to equity 134 that's very good compared to the industry at 275 return on equity is 4 versus negative 7 net profit margin 17.6 versus negative 14.1%. And then receivable turnover is 47 versus 5. And Chase is the REIT. So what do we got for the funds from operations? Yeah, so current price here for Omega Healthcare is $37.59. 52-week high is $39.24. At 52-week low, well, that's $23.89. I go to December 2022. I do see estimated FFO. And again, for REITs, we look at funds from operations just because of uh, Real estate's a little bit different in terms of the depreciation, non-cash expenses. But I do look at the FFO for 2022, estimated to be $3.35. Would give us a pretty attractive target sell price here of $55.61. So I, I like the industry. I like what the company does. I, I think the valuation's good. Um, lots of positives here. Yeah, I, I don't think it'd be time to sell it, Lewis. Um, you know, kind of watch it closely. I think I did notice the debt was kind of high, which would kind of worry me a little bit. Well, no, no, the debt was good. It was the... Um, Oh, shoot, I forgot. There's something else I like on that. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of went through it, and I was looking at something else. <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 we like it, but I think there's some, some things you want to kind of look at just to be safe on it. But I, I don't think it's time to sell unless you find some negatives with it. All right, Lewis? I mean, uh, uh, Duke? Duke. Yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, it's not a large percentage of my portfolio, but uh, uh, I figured that uh, maybe what I ought to do is just sell a little bit of it to take advantage of the price that I originally got it at. Uh, Percentage-wise of your portfolio, what's the makeup of your portfolio? Oh, about uh, half a percent. Oh, I, I wouldn't even. No, I would just keep it because I think it's a pretty good one. I'm going quick over the numbers I had. I don't see what I was concerned about. So, no, I think it's a good one. Hold on to it. 
All righty. Okay. Well, I'll take that to, to the bank, and um, thank you for your advice. All right, Duke. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Let's head quickly down to Chula Vista and speak with Lewis. Lewis, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Um, my question is, I used to be a county employee for San Diego, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I have my uh, retirement, my 401A, whatever they call it, similar to a 401K, mm-hmm. but now I went back to work to, to the private sector, and I could retire with the county and stick with the private sector, but with this all, all this turmoil that's happening, I feel like, you know, the government is just getting too in debt, and so I'm thinking of pulling my money and sticking it into the private sector. Uh, I don't know. I'm even thinking of selling my house because I have some good equity in there. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if I'm being paranoid or what do you guys think? Well, I, I think the government will be okay. It's, it's going to do crazy things. It's going to be kind of worrisome. Uh, but I think if you have the opportunity, I always tell people, if you have the opportunity to take your 401k or your 401a or your pension plan, you should always do it yourself and have it managed so that you control it, not the company or not the, uh, or not the company. Yeah, I mean that's important. You kind of also brought up a couple other things, uh, running out of time. But uh, the uh, the house as well. I mean, you know, Brent's actually sold his house last year because real estate just seems to be pricey. I mean, if you think you can get a good price for your house that you know you don't think it's worth what it's selling at, I, I mean, I I always tell people sell the house and if you're comfortable renting, then then that's not a bad option. Well, yeah, no, no, no doubt. I mean, it, it's crazy that what my house is selling. I've compared other places, and I literally have 400000 in equity, and I'm like, this house is nowhere near <laughs> that amount, so it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, I, you know, I went through the last bubble, and I go, you know what? I missed out on a lot of money, so I don't, wanna, I don't want that to repeat itself. Right. And, Does and that you, make sense? It makes perfect sense. You sell when things are crazy, and you may not be selling at the top. Things are a little higher, but you're kind of smart to think what you're doing. And Lewis, on the 401A, if you want to come in our office to talk more about that, we can, we can do it at the office because it's a little bit more complex than what we can give you here on the air. Uh, I'll give you the phone number. It's, it's uh, 858-546-4306. And give myself a call. We're going to chase a call. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more awesome. about that for you. All right, Lewis? Thank, thank you, guys. All right, thank you for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Gosh, just two hours just flew on by. I, I kind of felt bad having to, you know, kind of rush Lewis area. Some great questions there that I would want to spend more time on. But maybe we should do a three-hour show. No comment. <laughs> it is kind of hard getting up, uh, you know, six o'clock on every Saturday morning, and uh, you know, and I get hungry during the show. I, yeah. No one they talk about it, but no one's ever brought us donuts yet. What's up with that? <laughs> get hungry. Got to. Go pee, you know, go to the bathroom. Yeah, I, know, I, know. I can do it for two hours, three hours, I don't know. Yeah, we can do three hours, yeah. yeah and, and actually, my brain does get like, because we are focused for like two hours on really thinking about this. So it's a, it's like an intense radio show. Yeah, it's super intense. <laughs> you, you look like you're done over there. Like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go home. I got to go take a nap. There's a closing bell. You're coach. saved. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Shows for informational purposes only and should not be used on investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information along with investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters Refinitiv. 
Closing song, Frank Sinatra's My Way, is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. And may I say, not in a shop. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.